Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the December 20th, 22 County Board recess meeting, our final formal meeting of the year. This is County Board Chair Katie Crystal. I'm joined by my colleagues, Vice Chairman Dorsey, um, Mr. Karen Tonis, Mr. DeFranti, and I know we are awaiting Ms. Garvey joining us presently. Um, we are beginning with just a few recognitions as well as reports from board members. Um, I want to start by recognizing uh, um, a true loss to our community. Uh, former County Board Member and Chair Al Eisenberg passed away on November 15th. Um, we are grateful to have this opportunity to recognize uh, a true titan in Arlington's history. I'm going to open the floor to my colleagues for some comments, um, beginning with Vice Chair Dorsey. Well, thank you, Madam Chair. So uh, Al Eisenberg, uh, for people who've been around Arlington for a long time, is a uh, known name and an influential figure. Um, you know, I remember during the time when I was uh, beginning in Arlington County, he was one of those people who you know, was kind of felt very distant because he was on the county board. He felt like a very, very big deal. Um, and what was clear from admiring his work from afar was that he had the sharpest intellect and, you know, really brought uh, a degree of policy expertise to his work uh, in the county. And of course, that then served him well as he moved on to serve in the House of Delegates and, uh, you know, also his service that uh, preceded that in the, the Clinton administration. Uh, he was really a, a giant of a figure in local civic and political affairs. Coincidentally, uh, during an earlier run that I had for office, I got to compete uh, in a primary against uh, Al or with Al as among the participants. And he was really the embodiment of a gentleman. And uh, it was very much a, a great experience being a part of that process. Uh, vying for a nomination with him, we were both unsuccessful, as the case, <laughs> as the case was. But uh, you know, he was just truly a, a very intelligent, decent person who very much had the perspective of Arlington uh, first and foremost. And and he, along with his wife Sharon, uh, really presented as one of our premier power couples uh, in the region with the work that uh, Sharon did with with uh, local schools and also her work on the Hill. Uh, just two people to be admired, and uh, over the years, I have uh, you know grown very fond uh, of them outside of political competition. And his loss will truly be felt for a, a long time. But he he certainly had a, a life well lived, and he is a worthy person to to remember as part of Arlington's legacy. Thank you so much, Mr. Dorsey. Um, Mr. if you had comments as well. I I, I think uh, our calling this. Garvey will have more to say about Al Eisenberg. I only want to in, um, uh, add to to this uh, that Al Eisenberg, uh, he was also not only a, a former county board member, he was also a delegate in uh, the Virginia General Assembly. Uh, he represented um, Arlington very well there, and he did a lot for Virginia. His name is associated uh, here in this county with housing, housing support, affor housing affordability, and specifically with a uh, housing grants program. I cannot enumerate uh, how many, how many thousands of households have been able to live in Arlington 
because of Al Eisenberg. Uh, I think this is, uh, this is a legacy that is very difficult to forget. He was extremely meticulous. He put this program on very, very sturdy tracks. And uh, here we are still uh, working with this program and, and trying to keep Arlingtonians here. Um, in addition, I have to say something uh, else. Al um, Eisenberg, uh, suffered from a degenerative uh, neurological disorder that took away his memory in his late years. Um, it is always a, a passing, like he is a good reminder of how important it is to pay a lot of attention to, this, uh, to these ailments and to provide as much of, uh, you know, support as we can to the families, to the people, and make sure that the systems and the healthcare is there to attend to everybody who will need this care. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that, Mr. Carantonis. And um, Ms. Garvey, Mr. DeFranti. Sure, thank you. Sorry to be just a little bit late. Um, so I, Al was a major person when I came on the scene, which was way before, I mean, or at least a little before, or way before <laughs> most of you here. Um, and it's kind of a reminder of the debt we owe the people that came before us. Um, it's really incredible. I mean, this is a wonderful county, and it isn't just because of what we do here. It's what's been done for decades, and, and Al was part of that. Um, I had the um, opportunity to, to attend his services and learn some things I hadn't known before. He'd been basically a father figure to Adam Parkamenko. He was a young man who really needed a father in his life. He said he'd show up on Sundays, be watching television, not sure if he'd be noticed, and I would say, what are you doing here? <laughs> but welcome him and, you know, to have him join the family and all kinds of activities. Um, so that was, that was really interesting. And then on his legislative accomplishments, I didn't, I actually had forgotten um, how much we owe to not, not having smoking in restaurants. That was apparently Al's bill, and he did a lot with that. Um, so he's, he's a man with great intellect. Um, it's sort of tragic that that's what got taken first. Um, but it was wonderful to sort of be with a lot of the folks who, as I say, um, helped make this county what it is, and we're continuing that work. Um, and hopefully in a number of years, people will be remembering us and that we've continued that, uh, that trajectory. Thank you. Ms. Garvey. Mr. DeFrenti, final comments? Sure. Just uh, I made time to go to the viewing. I didn't get to the service, but I did go to the viewing, and front and center was an award on affordable housing. Uh, and it did make me feel that there's, um, I never got to meet uh, Al Eisenberg, but it did make me feel that there's a, a history that I'm missing, that I, I want to continue to learn um, more uh, about him. And certainly I did get to know Sharon Davis. And, uh, what an extraordinary person. I suppose it's in part because of that commit, commitment to housing and in part because my aunt is having her memory being taken from her, that uh, I'm reflective and thankful for uh, Al Eisenberg's service and leadership. Thanks. Well, thank you so much. I know our thoughts are all with his family. This is a hard time of year to be losing someone, um, particularly after a long goodbye. But um, as Ms. Garvey said, his uh, contributions have certainly made this community much better for his time spent here in Arlington. And we are grateful for that legacy indeed.
All right. Um, we will move next to board member and chair reports. Um, I am delighted to have an opportunity to welcome a couple of guests to uh, deliver a report with me um, about transitioning nonprofit funding decisions. Um, so we are joined today by a few members of uh, a pretty extraordinary team that has been generously giving of its time for the past more than 18 months at this point. Um, before I launch into a presentation, I just want to do a quick round of introduction. We have with us um, Cicely Whitfield, Kita Stebenezer, Saul Reyes, and of course our beloved uh, Samia Bird, she's <laughs> um, Chief Race and Equity Officer for the county, as well as I think we've got Devanshi Patel on the phone, is that right? Who I think maybe driving through Danville, thus is her That's correct. Yes, will be thank, you. <laughs> thank you so much, Devanshi. Um, I'm really grateful to these folks, as you'll see as I share a little more um, about today's presentation, uh, the, the time commitment, um, benefit of the doubt, and so many other things that they have extended to me personally and to us as uh, county government in trying to rethink um, a pretty fundamental way of doing business here, um, which is to say the way that the county board makes decisions around around nonprofit funding um, and seeking to reform that to really reflect our goals of racial equity, of listening to our communities um, and to trusting our communities, particularly our communities of color um, when it comes to defining uh, the, the, the needs and coming up with solutions to meet those needs. So um, I'm going to launch in with just a little bit of an overview of our project. Um, the exciting thing to be presented today is that this team has really helped work closely with government government, um, particularly me as a representative of this board, Samia as a representative of the county manager's office and others, to co-create a set of principles for how funding can move forward in a way that really does reflect our values um, of racial equity and community partnership. So um, just to, to, to launch in with our first slide here. Um, what is this project? So uh, as indicating, as I indicated before, this was about bringing together BIPOC voices in our community and particularly community leaders like the ones that we have today who have, I think, fair to say, deep credibility in among our community members, or uh, among our community members in our um, Black and Latinx communities in particular, um, to, to take on this question of how Arlington has made community and human services funding decisions, and particularly how this board has made community and human services funding decisions, which is to say, um, in somewhat of a, at best, ad hoc way, year after year with the budget, um, in a way that, that really didn't live up to our values of transparency and access. Um, one of the things we spent a lot of time talking about uh, was a theme that was really echoed by the 2021 Dialogues in Race and Equity that Simi and her team worked on um, with challenging racism, where we heard some, some very truthful feedback about how the Arlington way um, uh, for the many things it's achieved and, and in, uh, it's, it's a times positive reputation in the community also has some real downsides um, that it has been a, a, a system or way of doing things that has lacked transparency and access that has prioritized relationships over fairness at times. Um, one of the things we heard often in the DRE is that it feels like it is um, part of um, or reflective of predetermined outcomes um, and people feel inauthentically engaged. And above all, what we've heard from our community leaders group as well as from the Dialogues in Recent Equity um, is that the Arlington Way has historically disadvantaged, disadvantaged BIPOC community members and organizations. 
So our goal in rethinking how Arlington and particularly the Arlington County Board can think about awarding community and human services funding was not just to change that, but also to confront some of those challenges with the Arlington way, baked into how we do processes like the one to rethink funding here. Um, the goal was in addition to, to try to develop new ways of making funding decisions that would be more transparent, accessible, and racially equitive, equitable. And the group that came together to do this included um, a number of BIPOC community leaders, again, representatives of some community-based service providers who really sought to, to bring in those who maybe had led um, grassroots, you know, truly community-based nonprofits. Um, uh, as well as representatives of Arlington County government, as I mentioned. We were supported by the E Pluribus Unum Fellowship, which is a national fellowship working to support um, local governments uh, in the South working on issues of race and equity, particularly systemic race and equity. Um, and uh, through their generosity, we're able to bring in external subject matter experts and facilitators. We partnered closely with the United Way of the National Capital Area. We were also able to draw on experts from, example, from Denver, who had worked on nonprofit funding and funding for equity as well. So I'm going to share just a quick timeline about our project and then invite uh, colleagues to, to add any comments about the, the project timeline as it unfolded. And then I'm going to turn it over to the group to talk about the recommendations that have come um, out of these deliberations. And then I'll close with a few next steps. So this is sort of a, a recap. Um, we initially convened, you know, having some, some exploratory conversations, knowing that there was a need to change how we did nonprofit funding, um, and then designing a project um, uh, that, that I worked on and then sought funding for to try to do a needs assessment to say, how do we better hear from members of our community about what they need and then um, amend our nonprofit funding practices uh, to, to try to better meet those needs. Um, we brought together a, a group of leaders um, with the intention of engaging in sort of a snowball effort, um, talking to folks and then asking them to uh, refer to more folks in the community and so on. Um, and then we learned a lot as we convened folks. I think what we heard, well, I know what we heard, was that the way the project had been designed was perpetuating a lot of the very power dynamics we were trying to disrupt. This idea that someone uh, had decided there needed to be a needs assessment, when in fact uh, there was a pretty good sense of what the needs were in the community if county government was willing to listen to leaders. And we also got the feedback that I think was really fair and authentic, which is that um, community leaders, uh, particularly from our BIPOC communities, have been asked often times to leverage their relationships to serve as a bridge to the community without any guarantee that what they were bringing back to county government was actually being heard or asked about. So we paused. We tried to reset um, and to really rethink what uh, would look like a truly co-created um, and truly respectful form of engagement. So if we go to the next stage, next phase, our, our phase two, our reset, we redefined the scope of the project. Um, we talked about how would we design a project from the, from the start um, not to do a needs assessment, but to acknowledge the, the knowledge that was already in the room. Um, and one of the biggest takeaways was we, we flipped the way we thought about it. Instead of trying to go and talk to the community about needs and then make change, was that we needed to show as county government that we were capable of making some change and using that as a basis um, to then try to go to the community and engage more um, wider voices uh, uh, in the ongoing um, uh, calculation and evaluation of whether our programs are doing what they say they can do. So the, the big result here, as I mentioned, is the set of recommendations about how we make changes of county awarded funding. You'll hear from our community leaders. There is a, we have, uh, there are a fair number of ideas about community voice in doing that and making those allocations. But I also just want to pause and acknowledge that 
this is in many ways step one for us. Um, we are trying to, to repair a lot of historic distrust and a sense that communities have been taken for granted or even taken advantage of by county government. And so um, the broader work of, of continuing to, to really engage the wider community to show that we're willing to share power uh, and improve things and make some of these systemic changes, this is only the tip of the iceberg. So before I hand things over um, uh, to the team to start presenting some of the recommendations in specific, what do you think, you all? What have I missed? Is there anything that you would add about kind of how that process um, unfolded and what we learned from it? Uh, so I'm not just putting words in everyone's mouth. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, no, I don't think I don't think you put any words in our mouths. I think there, this was a learning process for all of us, um, and we, as a group, I believe um, we can all kind of say that we are thankful for the opportunity to engage on this work for the last 18 months um, to really see some effective change start um, here in Arlington. Thank you. Have anything? <laughs> Uh, I said it will be a change because the process already changed us to be here. So I hope it will be changed. Thank you. Thank for the opportunity. And I'll just add that it's been a pleasure <clears throat> to take part of this process in redefining uh, the awards and funding process in, in Arlington. We all know that Arlington values diversity and inclusiveness. And uh, I just think that this is, uh, this is a way to make Arlington more transparent, uh, racially equitable, and accessible for all. And so it's, it's been 18 months, and it's, it's been a great experience. And so looking forward to sharing our, our recommendations. Well, thank you all so much. So without further ado, I'm actually going to do exactly that. So um, if you scroll through, you can see this is a, a quick summary of four different areas. We've thought about them as steps for the, for the um, way that funding uh, should flow in Arlington. And without further ado, Cecilia and Kitas, I'm going to turn to you to talk a little bit about step one, which is to say the call for proposals. All right. Um, so the moment we've all been waiting for. Um, so for step one, um, it was a call for proposals, um, and we just had some very kind of clear recommendations for, uh, for this step. So it was to have a clear and competitive transparent process um, for a NOFA or Notice of Funding Availability um, for Community Services is, recommend, is recommended. Um, it was also there that we said that defining community service would look like um, illustrations and examples, but not restrictive of certain categories, restrictive to what we just currently do. We wanted to, it to be an opportunity for um, defining community service as something as being proactive instead of reactive. So uh, us seeing things on the front lines um, and being able to serve in those areas without being restricted to uh, what some things are currently set up as. Uh, Kittis, you want to do the other ones? Okay. <laughs> so then um, we also had uh, technical assistance sessions um, where the county would uh, have uh, technical assistance sessions for um, um, folks going after these NOFAs. Um, 
this part was very important to us, particularly for smaller organizations who don't necessarily have the um, bandwidth or the the knowledge um, in the grant making cycle that other larger organizations have. So we wanted to make sure that providing technical assistance um, from the county's um, side would be accessible to all, making it an accessible um, NOFA. Uh, we also wanted to make sure that we had transparent deadlines and requests for follow-up um, of information. Uh, we wanted to make sure that that uh, having a deadline, uh, especially for smaller nonprofits, is kind of hard when it's only just you or somebody else in the office. So really kind of being uh, flexible enough with the deadline that we can respond accordingly, but also um, when we have requests to follow-up for information that is not um, us having to hurry to do something then not give a concise or clear answer because we don't have the bandwidth to do so. Um, but we also wanted to make sure that in those requests, uh, what did I miss? That uh, the timelines for organizations to access funding distortions would be like understood in those requests as well. I think that's it. You have number two. Great, thank you. And so I think we can keep going over to you. Evaluation. All right, that's my cue. <laughs> um, so um, the next step, as you see there on the on the PowerPoint, is uh, evaluating proposals. So bear with me on this one; it's a little long. Um, so our recommendations are the following: first, uh, that proposals should be evaluated holistically. Uh, for example, not divided into uh, service areas based on organization's ability to meet community needs and multi-domain uh, projects are welcome. The evaluation criteria for NOFAs should include a stated preference for organizations led by and serving communities of color and other marginalized communities. And uh, there should be consideration made for uh, organizations that are smaller and more grassroots in nature, especially those that uh, are led by and serving marginalized communities. And uh, to reflect trust in community-based organizations and to understand their communities, the county government should not define the needs or service areas. And uh, what we mean by this is that organizations are invited to define the need they see in the community and describe how they can use county funding to meet that need. The proposals should be evaluated by a panel of uh, consisting of subject matters experts, community members who are eligible for and or receive services, the voices of community members uh, who will be impacted by the NOFA should be included on the evaluation panels where feasible and appropriate and all members uh, of the evaluation panels, including staff working on matters related to the evaluation, uh, will be trained on the same principles of equitable evaluation in racial equity, social justice. And this leads me to the fourth point. Evaluation criteria should explicitly uh, include racial equity and social justice and should also demonstrate the quality of narratives about how organizations and proposals reflect the value of closeness to the community. Now, this, may, this, this is not a rubric. It's not a rubric. Organizations need to provide the details that matter most to them and the community they serve, which could include 
lived experiences of organizations, leadership, staff, and boards, example, and examples of hiring members of the community they serve, uh, including youth. Um, lastly, uh, joint ventures with larger community-based organizations are encouraged. Though, if such organizations can demonstrate how the joint venture is a partnership relationship and not a subcontractor arrangement with the smaller organization. That concludes this step for me, and uh, I'll pass it over to Devanshi, who's joining us by phone, to talk about the awards process. So Devanshi. Devanshi, we were gonna check and see if you wanted to do this step three. If not, I think Sol's teed up to okay. take it for you. Takes a village, right? Yeah. Sometimes someone's behind <laughs> the wheel. All right, so um, then I'll talk about the awards process. Uh, the recommendations are that there should be transparency. County government should make public lists of current and previous grantees. Uh, for organizations that do not receive funding, county government should provide individual feedback and written recommendations uh, aligned with the county technical assistance and information workshops on how to be a successful uh, applicant in future years. And lastly, funding restrictions should be only limited to state and federal obligations and the funding should permit flexibility to community-based organizations to adapt their budgets so that they can fulfill the same outcomes they identified in their proposals. That concludes the, this step and I pass it over to Cecily. All right, our final step um, is accountability. Um, and for accountability, we have the following recommendations. Um, we recommended, yes, that uh, for funding agreements between organizations and county specific to the grant and include perspectives and feedback of community members served. Um, so we wanted to make sure that evaluation um, for, for these uh, agreements um, will have measures that include perspectives of the community and the, and the community members that it serves, um, and that the technical assistance that the county offered um, should meet within the measurement and the monitoring plans of those evaluation measures. Um, we also wanted to make sure that reporting structures are responsive to the grant while balancing the oversight of reporting needs. This was huge to us um, because we, we just wanted to make sure that people had the, the time and the, the expertise and the things that they needed to uh, provide the correct reporting pieces to the county um, so we weren't um, put into a position where it wasn't that we were reporting what we actually needed to report. And I think that's it for accountability. I think that's it too. Thank you guys so much for presenting, or you all so much for presenting the recommendations. Um, I hope you can get a sense of the, the spirit of deliberation that went into those recommendations. And now I think it's on us as county government to actually do something with these thoughtful recommendations for changing, again, a process to, to that is as important as how we allocate funding in a way that reflects our our professed values. So how do we do that? Um, here's a, a little bit of a timeline about next steps here. Um, 
we obviously are interested now in trying to engage the broader community on these transition plans. Today's presentation is part of that. We are here. Um, we also are going to be hosting a community meeting on January 9th. We've just set the date, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. We'll do it at Leper Run Community Center, and that'll be an opportunity for, again, a version of um, our, our leaders group to talk a little bit about um, what this process was like from their perspective. Um, and to explain the, the co-created recommendations. Um, <clears throat> now, I think one of the things that's really important for us to think about is the board and as county government, obviously it takes a little while to, to, to make a big transition like this. Um, and so you can see sort of an envisioned timeline for a first full implementation of a notice of funding available process from advertisement to award consistent with what the groups recommended. But this is really important. I, I know that we have an opportunity to implement the principles associated with the recommendations between now and then to really show that we're doing the work. Um, you know, as I was mentioning earlier about showing credibility and um, and commitment to implementing these ideas. So um, you can actually start to see this already in some of the things we've taken on when we did the restorative justice notice of funding available award um, or the recent safety net notice of funding available that I think we might be hearing more about the manager, more from the manager about today for COVID relief. These principles about a transparent and competitive process, applications with low barriers to entry, inviting community-based organizations to define the services that they see needed rather than saying the services that are we think as government are needed and inviting applications. These principles are showing up already and I think it's gonna be really important for us as the board and government to keep demonstrating that even as we transition to a first full formalized NOFA system. So um, I think our, our next best chance to reflect that is definitely gonna be in the development of the federal February, uh, or excuse me, of the fiscal 24 budget during February. Um, that'll be a chance to, to start talking about the notice of funding available. In the meantime, our county manager's office, um, Samia and her teammate Amber, um, working as well with deputy county manager Michelle Cowan, um, uh, and, and her colleague Elizabeth, who is known to us from the, the a couple of these other NOFAs, um, are going to be working with this subject matter expert support from the United Way of the National Capital Area to come up with the specifics of the competitive process. So we've got the principles, now where the rubber will meet the road of you know the, the actual um, timeline of, of materials being posted and that type of thing. Um, and then by the first quarter of the fiscal year, which is to say starting late summer, early fall um, of next calendar year, that notice of funding available process, our goal is to have that live and out, um, asking for, for proposals, again, for community organizations to define the needs and their proposals um, to use county funding to help meet those needs, um, and then convening and training up a panel, as um, the team mentioned, uh, the, the goal of having a panel that is inclusive of not just subject matter experts and um, necessary county staff members, but also community members with lived experience, and sending that entire panel together through racial equity training so that they have common language, so that they can work during the um, Q3 and Q4, which is to say the first half of calendar uh, 2024, um, to make those recommendations um, so that the board can vote on the first panel of recommended grants as part of the fiscal 25 budget and allocate thereafter. I hope this will become the new way of doing business in Arlington County. There is a, There are a lot of other areas that need to shift and specifics. You know, we also have quite a few county board awards now that are... Um, discretionary boards that really should be part of DHS's core mission. So there's also work to transition that into different procurement processes. But I know for all of us on the county board, I think we've long had a desire to be able to make funding decisions in ways that are fair and transparent and equitable. And I'm so grateful to this group for giving us a pathway to do that. Um, I'm gonna stop there. That's been a lot of me talking. I will once again emphasize that January 9th, 
8.30 to 8.30. Um, we'll be having a community meeting to also field more questions too that community members or organizations may have about this transition or about the principles and their development. Um, and we are also going to aim to stand up a web page as well so people can learn more. Um, before we wrap up, let me open the floor if my colleagues have questions or thoughts. Um, the, the, uh, to reveal behind the curtains, colleagues have actually already had a chance to see this, uh, but I'm glad to be able to, to be joined by the group and community today. Ms. Garvey, um, if you want to take the floor yeah, first. As per usual, I'm not going to get into the specific specifics because I think this is just great. I, I find I've just, um, I'm thinking how great it is that we've had chair after chair after chair that has made equity their initiative. And this is the product of years of work. It's like we're not careening off from this, you know, we're, we're really staying focused on, on equity and it's making a huge difference. Thank you, Madam Chair. When we started, you started with UNAM, has it been a year or two? And I think we first had Mitch Landrew here and maybe that's right. 2020. I, I was actually part of the 2020 class of fellows, so here we are in 2020. Right, and I was chairing, I think. I remember that. All right, good. And then we had other things that kind of seemed to get in the way, but obviously this did not stop. And I'm so glad that you, you know, worked with them and, and brought this here. Um, it's a holistic approach. I also find myself thinking about my um, days actually a little bit with Peace Corps and, and foreign aid. And You know there's that saying, um, I'm here from the gov government and I'm here to help you, and that's supposed to be scary. I realize it's really... It's really because what it often means is I'm here from the government, I'm here to tell you what you need. Mm -hmm. And that's what's happened, and that's a, had been a problem in foreign aid for a long, long time, and we finally, have finally started to fix that, and obviously that's been happening locally too. Um, and that sort of was part of what the Arlington Way has sometimes been. Um, I also think the Arlington Way is an amorphous thing that keeps changing, which is good, because <laughs> we don't want it to stay the same. It also <laughs> is what people think it is. Um, and I do warn us, we may find um, a little bit of reaction from this, that this is not the Arlington way, and um, we're gonna have to figure out ways to bring along everybody and, and explain that, yeah, it probably, it, it maybe used to be, but it isn't now, and this is gonna be better, and, and here's why. So I think we're gonna have work to do with the other part of the community that maybe is usually included. Um, so I could ramble on more. Um, it's really exciting, and it's got, it got just kind of little, you know, thoughts keep going ping, 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 um, and it's just a delightful way to sort of end this year and then start the next year. Thank you, Madam Chair, so much, and thank you to our wonderful workers. It's just, it's great to have you here. I remember Cicely sitting and talking with you, and you were upset about how we were doing our funding. I think that was about six or eight years ago. <laughs> so here we are. It takes time. Persistence is a good thing. Thank you so <laughs> thank very you. much. Yeah. Thank you, Madam Chair, and, and I share the, the positive overall uh, thoughts. I think we're probably each in our own way dangerous on this because <laughs> I've worked at three or four national nonprofits, and, and uh, so I'll skip all the summary of that. But I will say that my interactions with each of you ring in my mind as I'm listening to what we're doing now. And I don't, uh, I think this will not be, this is so the right thing to start, and it won't be all simple. Matter of fact, it will be complex and complicated, but we have to have a conversation instead of um, what we've been doing to this point. And so uh, just wanted to f reflect that thought. And uh, I can't unhear what you've told me on the phone or via Zoom or in conversations. And I think that that is what fuels support for this direction for me. Thank you so much. And uh, Mr. Dorsey. Thank you. 
and thank you, Madam Chair, for persisting in this work, you know, and, and thank you to our partners for persisting in this work because I am sure uh, there were many points along the way where frustrations could have called on people <laughs> to sort of walk away and default to the status quo, and I think that's emblematic of what makes the work of of equity and doing things that are people-centered instead of bureaucracy or organization-centered. That, that's what makes it hard, but that's what also makes it worthwhile, is what you've been able to come up with is getting us to the place where we want to be, where, where public dollars go to support uh, improvements in the human condition and making sure that we are actually providing our leverage to actually support what is needed in the community as opposed to vestiges of what was done in the past or misaligned motives. So really hard to unpack all of that. And I just am grateful for all of you for sticking with it uh, because it, it would have been easy and perhaps even understandable if at some point you had just said, all right, too hard, we'll deal with it later. And I just look forward to uh, helping to support this as it goes to the implementation phase in the fiscal years ahead. Thank you. And Mr. Carantones. Thank you, Madam Chair. And uh, this is truly a milestone. I think, uh, I mean, not only, uh, you know, gratitude is uh, in order to you for, for spearheading that and for connecting the dots between, you know, our, I wouldn't call it equity deficits, but definitely equity liabilities uh, over a very, very long time, uh, which has been recognized and worked on by that, which makes it Oh, the, mo the, mo the more and more difficult. And we will have more to talk about how we continue to work on our uh, equity liabilities uh, in, in, other, in other places and in other programs. Um, I find the uh, basic idea that applicants uh, have to come, are invited and welcomed to come to us with proposals and uh, with their own grassroots-based definition of needs, uh, a significant departure from uh, what we have done until now. It is very clear to me that this is not a very easy thing uh, because uh, uh, any significant departure cannot be linear. Uh, but I thank you for being partners and uh, companions in this, uh, in this journey. And I'm really looking forward on uh, the first grant uh, a round of feedback on January 9th uh, in, in the first public presentation with practitioners. So thank you so much for that. Absolutely. Thank you, Mr. Cardones. I'm glad you called that out. I think that was really one of the major features. I've, I had the realization anyway, listening to this group deliberate, um, what that means to actually trust the community uh, to define needs themselves. Um, that was a really powerful takeaway for me. So I'm glad you called that out too. And that you um, noted that that will be a challenge because any big change is a big challenge. Um, well, on that note, I just want to conclude by thanking you all again so much, um, and thank you to Ms. Patel um, for, for joining us virtually, despite what sounds like a few different family needs and other things going on, I think a real sign of, as Mr. Dorsey was saying, the commitment that this whole group has brought. Um, I'm very excited. We will miss uh, barely a beat at all into the new year. We'll see everybody on January 9th. Cicely Kedista, Saul Samia, thank you all so much. I'm really excited to continue the work. All right. Thank you. Um, okay. So uh, from there, let me move us quickly into appointments. Um, we have a, a somewhat reasonable length list, so I'll try to read them quickly. For
for this month, I, I call as I move, we make the following appointments first to the Citizens Advisory Commission on Housing, that we appoint Nikki Blake for a term ending December 31st of 2026, to the Disability Advisory Commission, appoint Nicolette Gerald for a term ending December 31st of 2024, to the Economic Development Commission, appoint Tiffany Osborne and Tommy Amal for terms ending December 31st of 2025, to the Fiscal Affairs Advisory Commission, appoint Andrew Grakowski and Chris Cummings for terms ending December 31st of 2024, and designate from the FAC John Tui as the FAC representative to the Audit Committee. To the Historical Affairs and Landmark Review Board, appoint Katie Myers for a term ending December 31st, 2026, and reappoint Robert Dudka for a term of the same duration. To Forestry and Natural Resources Commission, reappoint Noreen Hannigan for a term ending December 31st of 2025. And to the Neighborhood Complete Streets Commission, reappoint Elizabeth Gallagher for a term ending December 31st of 2025. To the Sports Commission, appoint Elizabeth Stell and Cal Monaro for terms ending December 31st of 2024. Um, that has been, actually it doesn't need a second, so I think we are ready for a vote. Colleagues all in favor of those appointments, please say aye. 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 Any opposed? Uh, that carries unanimously. Madam Chair, note uh, one of our appointees and our members of, member of the Commission of the Economic Development Commission, Mr. Amal their audience. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. It's always a real pleasure when one of our new commissioners and designees can join us. We really appreciate your service and we're so glad to have you. Um, well, thank you to you as well as to um, all those who are serving, upping their service. Um, your level of engagement really does make this community stronger and we are grateful for your advice, counsel and ideas. I look forward to more of them. Okay, um, continuing with board reports, I'm going to turn things over to Mr. Carantonis to invest, uh, to introduce some guests. Speaking of racial equity systemic efforts, over to you, sir. Uh, the, the second part uh, in our continuous quest to make good on our equity resolution and you know fill it with, with uh, meaningful action. Um, this is a report from uh, the Arlington uh, Neighborhoods Program, uh, formerly known as the Arlington Neighborhoods Conservation Program. Um, uh, this is uh, work on uh, this this uh, commission or the, the 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 governing body of this program is, spe is special in Arlington because uh, the, the 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 participants there, the members of this uh, commission, are delegates of of neighborhoods. So it's uh, particularly difficult to. Uh, no, not all the neighborhoods are, are the same. Not all neighborhoods have the same socioeconomic and demographic characteristics. It's very easy to derail from uh, a, a notion of equity, equality, and fair uh, representation sometimes, uh, and definitely in fair, fair al uh, allotment and, and adjudication of funding for the many uh, programs that have been improving our neighborhoods uh, with public participation for so many decades. Um, I'm particularly proud that the commission, uh, uh, under the uh, leadership of Kathy Reeder, and with uh, with the great support of our county staff, Mr. McIntosh, thank you for coming tonight, uh, have been working on systematically uh, applying the equity lens to the program, and I welcome them to report about their work today. Um, thanks, Takas, for the introduction and for your ongoing support of the Arlington Neighborhoods Program. And on behalf of ARNAC, thank all of you for your support in allocating the additional million dollars of CIP funding 
It's given us a jump start in incorporating equity considerations into our process. We appreciate that. Today I'll talk about the second bullet that's shown on the slide about how we are identifying equity-focused considerations and using them to guide our project selection. Next slide. Income level data was a starting point for understanding which civic associations might have equity considerations. For the HUD map that you see um, displayed, Tim McIntosh has worked with staff to have the civic association boundaries and streets overlaid on the census tract map. And the yellow and blue areas on this HUD map show areas of households with low and moderate income based on census tract data. So income was a starting point for looking for equity considerations. Next slide. In addition to the HUD map information, we reviewed the equity findings from the 2021 Neighborhood Conservation Program Review. The review suggested two factors to monitor to help ensure equitable project distribution going forward. One factor was distribution of NC projects compared to BIPOC populations. The data used to generate the map that you see shows that areas with a 60% or greater BIPOC population, those are the two darkest shades of green on the map, have about 13% of the county's total population, but only 8% of the total NC projects. In contrast, the areas that have a BIPOC population lower than 20%, the lightest green shades on the map, have about 16% of the county's total population, but 25% of the total NC projects. So going forward, we will include percent of people of color as one of the equity consideration factors. Next slide. The second factor from the 2021 program review was distribution of NC projects compared to the Healthy Places Index, or HPI score, which includes a number of socioeconomic indicators. On the chart, you can see the different HPI groups ranging from scores of highly favorable on the left to highly unfavorable, second from the right. And you can also see the distribution of past decades, of past projects by decade. So each decade has a different colored bar across the HPI scores. So for areas with highly unfavorable scores, the second from the right group, you see a lower number of NC projects compared to other groups for all three decades. Significant factors that affect that highly unfavorable score include higher rates of households without a college degree, higher rates of poverty, more renters and homeowners, and a higher proportion of households with limited English proficiency. So we want to understand which areas in the county have the most limited resources so we can include the relevant socioeconomic factors as equity considerations going forward. Next slide. So we're using uh, a recent information source for our data, the Census Tract Demographic Dashboard. The slide shows the graphic for Arlington County as a whole. The dashboard is available online and will be updated every year. There is a significant amount of data available, race, ethnicity, age, education levels, English proficiency, et cetera. So although this is census tract data, we can select a civic association with, from the dashboard and generate reports for the census tracts that are most closely aligned with the civic association's boundaries. It's not a perfect alignment, but it helps us better understand our neighborhood populations. We generated reports for 15 civic associations based on the HUD map and other indicators, and we provided this information to all of the RNAC reps for their review and action. And we can generate additional reports as needed. Next slide. To recap, our equity considerations approach is as follows. We started with the HUD low-income area map as a starting point, and we reviewed additional equity considerations using that census tract demographic data um, and we specifically identified percent of people of color, uh, percent bachelor's degree, 
percent homeowners and renters, and percent limited English proficiency. We provided all that data to our, our, our RNAC reps. Um, and we'll also consider other equity factors that are based on a rep's kind of firsthand observation or knowledge of their civic association. Next slide. So our actions for our RNAC members, I'm focusing on the first two arrows here. The first one shows that reps have been asked to work with their civic associations to identify new Arlington Neighborhood Program needs for equity consideration based on the HUD map and other demographic information. So projects not already suggested. And as the second arrow shows, reps have also been asked to identify equity considerations for projects that are already in our queue using the same information sources. Next slide. So in summary, um, here's how our approach will influence our project selection. We'll use input from the reps to develop an equity list, both newly identified projects and the legacy projects that are already in the queue. To start off, we plan to select at least one qualified equity list project for each funding round. And it will take some time before the newly identified projects are submitted and qualified. In the meantime, we'll identify legacy projects that have equity impacts and include this as a consideration when we recommend projects to you for funding. Finally, this is a new approach for the Arlington Neighborhoods Program and for ARNAC, and we'll definitely be refining this approach as we proceed. So thank you for the opportunity to give the update. Thank you so much. Uh, this is an amazing body of work. I think that it will continue. Uh, there is a lot more to do. I wanted to open that to all of you, uh, to my colleagues, uh, for, for questions. Um. Thank you very much for all your work on this, both of you. And it returns to some of the roots, as I understand it, of the program uh, in part when it was founded. So um, there's plenty of things to do, so we might not have lengthy conversation, but that does not mean we don't care a lot about it, at least for, <laughs> for my part. Thanks. Well put, thank you, uh, especially now that I personally have chewed up uh, a lot of our meeting on a tight timeline. But um, if there are no other comments, let me say thank you. I really appreciate the um, the uh, emphasis on data. I, the use of the, the dashboard tool is really exciting. Um, I know there is so much rich analysis there. And so the um, what you all have shown us about the opportunity to apply that in service of programmatic goals is really cool, um, for lack of a better adjective. Um, so we really appreciate the work uh, in that regard. Um, I think we're looking, to see, looking forward to seeing more of it. And it's been really nice to see um, ARNAC embrace that uh, and equity is so core um, as the program has been relaunched and really reconceived of its own future. So thank you. And um, Chair Reader, thank you for your leadership. I know it is, as Mr. Carantonis was mentioning, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of personalities and perspectives drawing on neighborhoods across the county. So we're just glad for your leadership in that regard. And, it's, it's also an example of the nonlinearity of change because this is the first program where actually the communities were bringing the projects and defining the needs in the first place. Oh my gosh, place. I love that point. So, uh, so yes, this was working actually with you know communities who could afford to participate in the process that had members of the community who could afford to go to the meetings, who could afford to, you know, uh, make a methodical evaluation of the state of their sidewalks or of the lack of their sidewalks or the the lack of public lighting and and uh, you know a, a, a very long list of neighborhood uh, needs and you know, socialize that and bring it in into the program and fight for funding uh, in a competitive but orderly manner. So this is the first program that it worked, but 
uh, it shows also the nonlinearity where you know uh, things need to be <laughs> constantly evaluated and 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 appraised. And now we see the correction on yeah, the yeah. equity liabilities of the program. Trying to take what's best about those ideas from the 1970s, right? 60 further back, right? <laughs> All right. Well, thank you both so much. And thank you for making the time to be with us this evening. All right. Um, Ms. Garvey, I know you had a presentation about Friends of Urban Agriculture. Yeah. And I'm going to be really quick because I realize we're running a little behind time because um, we've got a lot going, going on. But I just wanted to report. So I think this is the second, maybe third year that M Matt and I have been together at this annual meeting for FUA. It's always fun. And I always think I need to share this. For one, I mean, just look at the picture, right? It just cheers you up. Um, and it's really amazing what they are doing. It, it does um, feed in, and it's got the puns. I really am not making any of these puns on purpose. It feeds into the work I'm doing with the Farm Committee on COG. Next slide, please. And I'll just go over the, the annual meeting. They go over um, a number of the accomplishments that they've made. Are we able to change this slide? Yeah, that's okay. So they're doing a lot of work with the plot against hunger. I think during the pandemic that got turned over to FUA and it's amazing what they're doing. Um, 14,000 pounds of, which I think is something like seven tons. If I remember how that all works out, it's just amazing the amount of food they get and, 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 uh, and donate. It's all volunteer. Um, I think the group is going to be working on getting a little, um, maybe having some people that aren't volunteer, but that's, that's for the future. Um, look at all of the food pilot, uh, pantries that they help with. And then this is the, the plot committee. There is a group of, um, mighty folks. It's pretty amazing. Next slide, please. Um, um, it's really interesting where um, the different uh, or places that they that they work, and you know, and they've got the, the kickoff at the Central Library. Of course, there's Rock Spring. There's what they call Hug, which is down um, at the um, in the National Landing area, and they coordinate donations with these other groups. And it's it's really a, a force multiplier. Um, again, great pictures. Next next slide, please. Um, I'm really struck by that all the gardens they do, so residential, faith-based school, public gardens, I mean, it's like anywhere they can kind of find ground, they grow, which is great. Um, and I really like all of the work that can be done, and this is just a little, if anybody is watching, I know we have millions of people watching this show, but um, for those that are and live in Arlington, there are all kinds of things you can do that are easy. Gleaners, um, and you can just do some washings and bean strippers, you can help out with a talk, and it does not take long. People can do something for one afternoon, and that's it. Dip their toe in and, and get a sense of, of what they might want to do. And again, it's just so impressive, all of the produce, um, and it's just helpful healthy and good for the community and good for the folks. One more slide. If you can change this slide one more time, sorry. Yeah. And so I just want to, so, um, and one of the fun things they do, so there's, this is, um, uh, Audrey Morris give, is, is giving, it's at the podium over there giving the direction, giving uh, her talk and, and going over things. And the Golden Radish Award went to Sue Howell. The Golden Radish Award started out as just being a funny thing. It still is kind of a funny thing, but it's becoming a thing. Um, and it's just a lot of fun. And I just thought this sort of fit in with holiday cheer. And if you're starting to feel a little gloomy, start thinking about growing things in ways you might want to chip in and help um, with our FUA group because they're doing a lot. And I think it does actually um, uh, support our sustainability efforts and over time um, becomes increasingly valuable to the community. Thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate that, Ms. Garvey. All right, moving right along, uh, a distinguished Arlingtonian and regional leader to recognize under our regional reports, Mr. Dorsey. Thank you, Madam Chair, and I'll provide a brief report before I get to that recognition uh, just to 
it's all ties together. Uh, I, this year, as you all know, I had the privilege of serving as the chair of the COG Board of Directors. And as that year draws to a close, I want to update you on what I perceive to be the progress achieved during this year. Uh, the central piece that we worked on was the implementation of a planning framework for the year 2030, which we uh, titled Region United. And it was an attempt to take the big, discrete policy areas that COG had been working on over the last several years and recognizing that these problems are in fact interrelated, that therefore the solutions would be best achieved through an interconnected set of uh, working to achieve those solutions. And that all was put together in a planning framework which I had presented uh, to you all earlier this year. And this serves to give you a sense of some of the points of progress and points of success that I wanna highlight. Uh, first of all, just to set the stage, we look at this, up, this decade that we're in up until 2030 as one of projected growth, about 600,000 population as well as 400,000 jobs. So a dynamic period for this region. And as we think about the areas of priority that we wanted to address, housing, climate and sustainability, uh, transportation and mobility as well as equity, uh, there is some, some efforts in these areas that I'd like to highlight uh, at this moment in housing, which are uh, tied to the housing targets that we adopted in 2019. There has been considerable uh, efforts by our regional partners in moving forward with dramatic changes to their housing policies. You know, the city of Alexandria has identified a target consistent with the COG targets for both overall supply as well as focusing most of those additional units uh, at affordable levels consistent with the targets. The District of Columbia, the mayor has set very aggressive goals for housing production by 2025. And even here in Arlington, we see with our selection of a development partner to pursue crystal houses, uh, dramatic increases in not only housing supply overall, but in making sure that we're leveraging all manner of ways to make housing more affordable to income constrained households. And in addition to the work that the jurisdictions are doing, we've also been successful in attracting outside partners, most notably Amazon and their equity fund, which is invested about a billion dollars in capital in our region to support uh, housing growth. And, and then COG partnered with Amazon on the deployment of a housing affordability planning program, which provides grants to jumpstart projects that may otherwise have sat on the sidelines for lack of planning capital. Uh, so there's been considerable work in housing as it relates to climate, some great news this year. Uh, so in COG set uh, goals for 2020 and 2050 as it relates to greenhouse gas uh, emissions reductions, the 2020 goal was to see a 20% reduction in GHG emissions from the 2005 baseline level. And the 2050 goal was to see an 80% reduction. Well, first, we, we, we thought that there was too big of a period of time between 2020 and 2050 where if you're not making progress, you could fall behind. So one of the things that we did was to uh, implement an intermediate goal for 2030 to call for a 50% reduction. But in order to have any shot at that, 
we needed to take a look at whether or not we uh, made any progress on the 2020 baseline. The good, new, good news is that goal was met. We wanted a 20% reduction and we achieved a 24% reduction. And that gives us great confidence that moving forward, uh, even though the 2030 goal is big, we've got some considerable momentum to, uh, to, to get there. And I'll just note that um, to sort of foreshadow what I'm gonna do a little bit uh, later with the recognition of Chuck Bean. When Chuck Bean came to COG in December of 2012, more than one out of every 10 days in this region was an unhealthy air quality day. Um, we kind of know those days with the various codes, various colors, and our air quality had been challenged for quite a while. And COG uh, is an organization that convenes all of the efforts to improve our air quality in conformance with federal guidelines. And from a period of 2012 where it was more than one in 10, we're now at a period in 2022 where we have fewer then one in a hundred days is an unhealthy air quality day. Considerable improvement. And as we think about some of the other areas of our region United framework, uh, there was a desire to make sure that the considerable investments in transit were integrated with all of our goals to ensure uh, housing in the right place and that it could lead to a reduction in vehicle miles traveled and the overall emissions reduction strategy. And there's been great work by partners like WMATA with their joint development strategic plan to make sure that we're optimizing those transit areas to achieve these interrelated sets of goals. And so this year was a, a revealing time where we were able to take stock of the big goals that we've made chart their progress and see some clear demonstrated points of success. And I'd, I'd like to say that as chair of the board, that, that was all me. I would love to say that, but that would be uh, certainly not at all true. Uh, the result is the indefatigable work of the COG staff who takes their cues and their vision from their leader. And it's with that that I would like to recognize the service of that leader who uh, threw a wrench in my year as chair by deciding that he wanted to set the stage for his eventual departure. And in February of this year, Chuck Bean is going to depart uh, COG as its executive director with an incredible record of progress and accomplishment during his tenure. Uh, while he would never say this about himself, I can say it about him. Uh, while he's got an incredibly talented team around him, there needs to be someone who provides the direction to identify what are the areas of work that we need to be engaged in, someone who has the skill to bring the region together to embrace what at times are uh, goals that may make them uncomfortable, and to ensure that we sustain in seeing them through. And Chuck has provided that leadership, that direction, that motivation and that inspiration. And so at this point, I would like for our board to formally recognize Chuck Bean. And I'll read a few of the recitals that inform this recognition. Whereas Chuck Bean was appointed executive director of COG in December 2012 and has served as the, re as the organization's fifth chief executive. And whereas Chuck Bean has been an exemplary leader in unifying planning priorities for the metropolitan Washington region 
and has collaborated across jurisdictions with a positive outlook and political skill resulting in a multitude of long-term accomplishments while working tirelessly to provide a regional model for successfully building consensus, taking action, and achieving goals. And whereas under his leadership, uh, COG has convened key stakeholders and um, initiated sustained advocacy for a 2018 dedicated funding agreement for Metro and helped the states establish the Washington Metro Rail Safety Commission as the transit body's safety oversight body, and whereas at his direction, COG provided officials in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia with data supporting their bids and coordinated joint letters and materials that saw the region successfully attract Amazon's HQ2 to Arlington, and whereas under his leadership, COG has adopted uh, regional targets to increase the amount, accessibility, and affordability of housing, and implemented a grant program backed by Amazon to support affordable housing developments near transit, and whereas Mr. Bean has oriented COG and the Transportation Planning Board to establish interim goals to stay on top of progress toward long-range climate goals and has presided over our region's air quality improvements that I just described, and whereas in 2021, Mr. Bean led COG staff in developing equity emphasis areas, an analytical tool identifying locations with high concentrations of traditionally underserved communities and directed COG to help member jurisdictions use this key concept to inform future planning and investments. And whereas Mr. Bean is concluding his service as executive director of COG with the development of Region United, the Metropolitan Planning Framework for 2030, which communicates interconnected housing, climate, transit, and equity priorities for the next decade. Now, therefore, Katie Crystal, chair of the Arlington County Board, does hereby recognize on this 20th day of December 2022, Mr. Chuck Bean for his hard work and unceasing dedication to bolstering the Metropolitan Washington Council of Governments and working to realize our regional vision of a more prosperous, accessible, livable, equitable, and sustainable Metropolitan Washington. We are very pleased to have an Arlingtonian and the uh, person being so recognized here with us this afternoon. Thank you very much, Chuck. Chuck, we brought you all the way here. We'd be delighted if you said a couple of words. Thank you. It's, uh... You have to hit the button on the microphone there. It's an honor to be with you all today, and I really appreciate the, the recognition from the staff and from the board, and to be at uh, the same day where Al Eisenberg is recognized and where your focus is on uh, 
racial equity. Uh, I couldn't ask for uh, a better day or a better better venue. Uh, from a staff perspective, you know, I experienced the excellent excellent work of uh, your staff uh, just last week. Samia sent me an awesome email. Uh, one of my emerging passions is about uh, trying to understand the history of Native Americans in this region. Not much is known, but uh, from what I can see, uh, Samia and Arlington are advancing more than any other jurisdiction to try to understand that. Uh, my friend Bryna Helfer uh, took the photo and uh, awesome work on census and housing and uh, messaging on vaccines. Your, your county manager always had my back with all the other sitting county managers of the region. <laughs> uh, whether it was wonky stuff like trying to save Arlington money through cooperative purchasing at COG or heady stuff like uh, deciding on homeland security and collaboration. And uh, if I could use for the first name uh, today, because I only got a month left, uh, Matt, congratulations on, on your reelection, uh, your earnestness, your uh, studentness, your curiosity. Uh, Libby, uh, the winner of the Skull Award this year, Cog's uh, highest honor. Uh, and Katie, the whole package, uh, starting with Charm. She always asked me how my daughter was doing after having met her, I think, in middle school. Yes, Wakefield valedictorian. Yes. And then, She's uh, memorable. Through, through college. Memorable. But uh, Katie, you're... Your principal, your principledness, your pragmatic pragmatism, and your and your guts, uh, and talk as uh, staff talk about you as the rising star within Cog, chaired MWAC this last year, and going on to chair CEPSI, our Climate, Energy, and Environment Policy Committee. And uh, let's see, am I missing any county board member? <laughs> okay. So Christian, Christian has been on the Cog Executive Board. Uh, executive Committee of the Board through 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 it all. So started in 2019, and Christian at the table with the housing targets. Maybe a little bit more of this, a little bit more of that. So advancing advancing the dialogue. And then 2020, uh, we did not have that climate goal for 2030. We need to we need to set that. That was uh, set on uh, 2021 equity emphasis areas. So. Glad in my heart that this analysis uh, at the census tract level, and then the high capacity transit station areas, uh, 225 places, just 10% of the region's land mass, 55% of all future job growth, just in those places we need to optimize that land mass. But even more importantly, connect these equity emphasis areas, these census tracts with these, these high opportunities. So this is how it all, all goes together. So I'm gonna cherish, uh, cherish this, cherish this memory. Uh, I think even more than that has been the uh, honor, uh, pleasure to have worked with all of you and your predecessors on the board for these last 10 years. So, uh, Chair Crystal, thank you very much. Thank you, Chuck. Well, thank you so much, and thank you, Mr. Dorsey. I'm so glad we had that opportunity to recognize an Arlingtonian who has truly distinguished himself in the region. We are very grateful for your leadership indeed, and for yours, uh, Mr. Outgoing Chair of the Council of Governments. Hopefully, uh, you won't get uh, too unused to being without that title for, for too long. I'm okay with it. <laughs> All right, um, thank you for those who are joining us, for our colleagues swearing in. We're very excited about that in 15 minutes. You are gonna get a treat. Uh, which is, in the meantime, a real insight into the workings of government. We have a report on the audit from the county manager. So uh, we'll do that in the balance of our 15 minutes prior to the swearing in. Um, turning things over to you, Mr. County Manager. Thank you, Madam Chair. I'm, uh, we're going to have the presentation of the annual comprehensive financial report. I'm going to ask 
Rahul Bala, who's our county controller who appears once a year in the boardroom. It's a festive occasion. Uh, <laughs> along with Karen Spence, who's the assistant controller, and you all know Maria Meredith. And uh, I'm going to turn it over to Raul to do inter more introductions of who is joining him from our um, external auditor. So over to you, Raul. Welcome. Thank you, Mr. Manager. Uh, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and members of the board. Um, on behalf of the accounting team in the Department of Management and Finance, I am pleased to present the financial year 2022 Annual Comprehensive Financial Report, or ACFR. The county has received an unqualified or clean audit opinion this year as well. However, there was an emphasis of matter because the beginning net position of government activities was restated. Also included in the ACFR is the audit report on CIFA and the report to Virginia's Auditor of Public Accounts. The report to Virginia's Auditor of Public Accounts has one non-material, non-compliance impacting the security access of a single individual. Mr. Rob Churchman to my left, the engagement partner from Cherry Beckard, is going to present the audit and answer your questions. Mr. Churchman has prepared a presentation, and I'm sure that he will explain in greater detail the restatement to the net position and the consequent emphasis of matter. Both Mr. Chair, Mr. Churchman and our staff is available to answer your questions. Thank you. Welcome. Red light usually means no. So I was looking for a green one, green one for go this time of year. Good point. Thank you for having me tonight. I, I'm, I'm not going to be cheating on you. I'm, I had the same presentation here. Uh, I've had some very um, severe cataract issues, and that's a little blurry. But I'll be brief because you said you have 15 minutes before you have a swearing in. Um, regardless of the type of entity, uh, the audit standards say I have to communicate certain things to you at the end of an audit. And these are the same items that would be for Enron or uh, a not-for-profit hospital or anybody else. And so some of these are not going to be relevant to you, and I'll make sure I make those apparent to you. But the standards say, Rob, you can't just ignore them and not even tell them, positively affirm to them that they don't relate because they don't want you thinking that if I go say anything about it, that it was not applicable. So I'm going to the next slide, please. Not used to having help. This is great. I'm going to turn my slides for me. Um, one of the things I'd require to give you a brief overview of who our engagement team is. Uh, I'm the partner in charge of all services to the county. Uh, I have on every, job, every one of my jobs, I have a second reviewer. His or her, her job, in this case it's a his, uh, is required to review our, our procedures, our reports, and so forth, to make sure they meet a quality standard, to make sure that they kind of stay above the fray, keep their mind up in the quality area instead of getting down into the trenches where we are doing the day-to-day -day audit work. Stephen Shield was my manager, and he was supported by my, my senior manager, my, supported by Maureen DeVilbis, and also Lauren Romer as my senior. The high-level areas of required next next slide, please. High-level areas of required communications are listed here. I'm going to I'm not going to list it out to you and read it out to you. We're going to we're going to go right into the first one, which is results of the audit, which is what you want to hear. As Mr. Rahul said, uh, we are required to audit in accordance with various standards, generally subject to all these standards, government auditing standards, and so forth, and required to give you our impression or our opinion of whether the statements are fairly presented in all material respects, and that's what we have done. It's actually called unmodified nowadays. Unqualified was the old term. 
the world went all kind of global and we decided to take on what the terminology was overseas in, in Europe and so forth and call it unmodified, it still means the same thing. Clean opinion is what you want to take home, put in your refrigerator like you did back in grade school. We also had, to, um, under the government audience, we had one matter which I mentioned, he mentioned earlier and I'm going to mention on slide six that, had, that was required to be disclosed regards to controls in accordance with government auditing standards. I may, um, next slide, please. I'm sorry. I keep forgetting you're over there. Next slide again. I apologize. Um, I, I should have mentioned earlier, I make this slide deck usable, hopefully, so that somebody who's not here can read it and understand. So I'm not going to read every bullet to you. You don't want to ha have me do that to you. But it also allows you to have a, a depth of knowledge of what we were talking about here. And this is a perfect example. This is just a slide that gives you the, the pure definition out of the audit standards. Uh, of what controls we're required to do, what a deficiency is, and so forth, and how we consider internal controls as we're, as we're um, testing our, performing our testings on the financial statements and control in, in, in um, compliance areas. Next slide, please. So with regards to government auditing standards, we reported one material weakness related to the restatement of tax revenues that were recorded in the current, well, last year, we, we noted them recorded this year, so we fixed that. But you don't fix it just in the current year, you fix it by going back one year because that's the last, that's the last period that's presented in the financial statements. So that was related to the fact that at the end of the last year, 21, you had recorded at the government-wide level, not, not the general fund, not, not your key budget area, your key budget to actual area that you, that, you, um, that you plan from, but they had recorded the October payments of revenue as June 30th, 21 revenue. And that under generally accepted auditing standards is not required, not, not allowed. You need to record that number, not as revenue, but as what we call deferred inflow. Basically, it's going to become revenue eventually, but at that point in time, it wasn't revenue yet. You still had an accounts receivable for it because you had a legally enforceable right to, to, to bill that at, at that time in the future, but it wasn't revenue yet. And so what, that, what this adjustment did is basically catch you up to where you needed to be having, you always had two, you always had two parts of revenue in your, in your statements. This gets that third part out that um, was recorded. So that was what that was about. We had no significant deficiencies, which is the other type of deficiency you could have that's not as material as material weakness, but it would be something that we thought was important enough for you, for you to know about and where there were no significant deficiencies, so that's very positive. Next slide, please. So because the first slide talked about the recording of, of the activities, you had one corrective misstatement, and that was, again, to reduce the June 30th, 01, uh, 21 fund, uh, net position by that amount of revenue that was recorded last year that should have been recorded this year. And that's what we're saying here. With regards to anything else that we thought you should record that wasn't recorded because of the immateriality or whatever reasons, we had no such misstatements. And I should say the, the terminologies throughout these standards also are kind of ominous. A couple of slides from here, you're going to see the word disagreement, you're going to see words uh, hard to deal with, difficulties and so forth. Uh, these are boilerplate phraseologies that the, that the standards want us all to use. It's not what we're making up on our own as we talk to different clients and so forth. Next slide, please. Next four slides, we're going to talk about these, these four areas here. And, and they're required, and uh, they're all applicable to you uh, in, various, in various levels of, of importance. Depending on the entity, next slide, please. Oh, wait, I apologize. I want to stop right there for one second. This is a key slide also because it does talk about the fact that under generally accepted accounting principles, you did have to change your policies this year. And that was policy for how you record leases. And so just like everybody else in the GAS, what we, we're called the GASB world, the Government Accounting Standards Board world, you had to record material leases for the first time on your books. Um, we're not aware of any other policy changes aside from what we just talked about for the, for the correction of the tax um, recording. 
and I'm required to let you know that as part of the audit standards. Next slide, please. For all entities, again, depending on their, their breadth and size and scope and so forth, uh, we're required as an auditor to, to understand the related parties you have. Now, a lot of times this is much more relevant from, a, um, from an audit perspective in the non-government arena. You have a lot of entities that you relate to, but you don't generally have a lot of transactional activities that you might have in the corporate world. As you can imagine, if those of you are following uh, blank fine, uh, the, the cryptocurrencies, his other related party, Alameda Research, basically took down his whole firm, bankrupted that one, and impacted the whole wide spectrum of the, of the economy in that particular sector. Um, that related party was not known, was not disclosed properly in any filings and so forth. So at that particular case, uh, people weren't aware to make their own uh, judgments on whether or not they should invest in those currencies uh, not knowing the related parties existed. So we're required to look for related parties where you have significant transactions that maybe don't make sense, that don't have a business purpose. I didn't find any of those. Again, this is one, this first area where I'm going to tell you this is very relevant to, uh, to outside government entities, but it didn't really impact me much here because your, your uh, related parties are pretty much on the up and up, pretty much known throughout a region. You, you're, you're generally in with multiples, Fairfax, Loudons, and so forth of the world. You do not have any... Um, any that are uh, for a non-business purpose, and we found no non-compliance related to related parties with laws and regulations. Next slide, please. Again, uh, this is relevant, uh, significant unusual transactions. Generally not overly relevant to a government, because you, you might get into significant, but generally it's not unusual. Maybe significant to you could be a bond, relate, a bond refunding and so forth, uh, but it, that's not unusual. Uh, I, I'm required to let you know that if we had found unusual transactions that seem to be outside the normal course of how you operate or how you should operate as a public government, then I'd have to tell you that. But here again, as I mentioned earlier, um, this is one that has, I did not have any significant or unusual transactions I noted during our testing to make you aware of. Uh, unless you're running the most simplistic entity, I'm sorry, next, next slide. I'm just not used to having so much support. Uh, uh, estimates are, are prevalent in every financial statements. Unless you're on a pure cash basis statement where you have, no, not, you have nothing to record except for what cash is in the bank and what check is outstanding. So we're required to look at estimates to make sure they make sense, to make sure that you're applying them consistently. If you're not in a, public, not in a government arena, but you're in a public venture arena, you can imagine how people might want to play with estimates to make their tax exposure go one way or the other, make their net income go one way or the other, their EPS and so forth, to attract new venture capital and so forth. So uh, we look at your estimates each year. The key ones are listed there, pension, OPEB exp uh, expenses and liabilities and so forth, uh, the fair value of investments and such, the allowance for doubtful accounts. How much of a tax revenue are you going to are you going to ultimately receive X years out into, out into the, the levy has already been let? Uh, we look at the significance. We look to make sure that you are not appearing to be an outlier. If you were having 12% on your investments and everybody else in the world is at six, I'd have to come to you and say, we need to understand why this is true. Maybe it is. Maybe you, got, maybe you bought in on the lowest bottom of, of the biggest boom that's going, that's going forward. But uh, I'm required to let you know that we didn't see anything that made us think that you've, you've been changing your estimates improperly, that they are not consistent with uh, what we would expect from our, our, the, the arena, the industry we deal with, and your peers and so forth. Uh, again, um, uh, the standards require me to let you know that so that if I go silent on it, you're not going to just presume that everything was okay. And then the last of our four items here, the financial statements disclosures are just, just, a, just a statement. They're, they're, disclosures are neutral, they're consistent, they're clear. Uh, they're, especially 
They're consistent to the extent that you had, new, you had some new disclosures this year because of leases, but those are consistent with what the generally accepted accounting principles are and what your peers had presented in their financial statements. Next slide, please. We, we, an auditor performs an audit that's defined. There are other procedures we may perform for an entity that are defined also. And one is called non-attest. What does that mean, Rob? Well, there are things where we can help an entity that we don't give an opinion on, that we just help them kind of, for lack of a better, in some, in some instances, get over the hump. May help them with their financial statements. In this particular case, I needed to make you aware that we do have one non-attest service we do for you. It's, it's required by the federal government, so it's not something the county is asking for because they need help. It's just required that the federal information that was mentioned with the CIF and so forth that gets uploaded to a federal website, everybody in the world, everybody in the nation has to do that. I'm required to go in and say that information makes sense compared to the issued report I issue. They do the same thing on the, on the county side. We both go in and we click, I think I click five boxes. I'm not sure how, how many boxes they have on their side. But once we click them all, the feds have a warm, comfort, warm cozy feeling this time of year uh, that the numbers make sense and that they are at least grounded in some kind of real support. Yeah. The issued financial statements, the issued uh, federal compliance work and so forth. So we do that. It's uh, very simple, and it's, I just have to make you aware that we do that because it's, it's something that's not an audit-related step. And I apologize so much for rushing you. Just given the hour, if we might be okay. able to maybe just highlight the last couple of conclusions rather than sure. the context, that would be sure. fantastic. Thank you so much. I, oh, there's a, I was looking for, I was looking for the uh, time. It's that's, not there. No, it's, it's, it's our fault. I think we had a no, little no, confusion no, about no, no, everything you're going to I tend to talk. I apologize. No problem um, okay, if I had to sum up, a it's a couple things out of these next four slides. Okay. And some of them are just dead slides at the end you don't have to worry about. Right here on the slide 13, independence. I'm required to let you know that I'm not aware of anything, anybody in my firm, any of my employees, any relationships we have with outside vendors that may relate to your firm would cause us to not be independent, not only in reality, but in appearance, because that's key. You have to be both in appearance and in reality. If my wife was your controller, I wouldn't be in reality. If my wife was the controller of some related entity you deal with, I would be. Okay? Got it. So, uh, picking out the big ones. Uh, uh, slide 15, the last, two, uh, the last item, of uh, the purple item. I'm not required to go hunting for fraud. Unless you call me and say, Rob, we got something going on. We, got, we, got, we need some extra help to go find this fraud. I'm required to keep my mind open. We call it professional skepticism. And so a lot of people think auditors are, are, are part of their job is to go find fraud, find what's in there, find what's in there. No, that's not true. But I'm required to be skeptical. If I've given a, some analyses of, of variances and they don't quite make sense with reality and what I've seen in other parts of, of the engagement, I might need to skept, uh, check that out some more. If I begin some, in, if, if it's trouble for me to get invoices, or, or the invoices seem to always be rounded numbers that always have the last month of the day, uh, date of the month, and so something that could be something aside of maybe some forgery, some fraudulent activity, I'm required to keep a skeptic of that and, and look into it. So I found nothing of that here. I always say this, and then everybody's like, what's going, what'd you, what'd you find? I found nothing of that here, but I'm required to let you know that I did not, and that I am not required to go hunting for it, and, but I, everything we did, we saw nothing that gave us any indication that you had any that. kind of activities along those lines. The rest of the slides are What's already in your financial statement reports, uh, 16 and 17 are just excerpts. Uh, 18 is if you ever get bored, go out and look at these two standards that are coming up. They'll put you to sleep. There's some changes to, to generally accepted accounting principles that's coming down the pike. So hopefully oh. I sped it up. Fantastic, Mr. Churchman. Thank you so much uh, for, for delivering on those final pieces for us. Um, Mr. Manager, is that a good stopping point? I know that we've got um, a couple of other items for 
post swearing in, if that's right. Okay. Yes, and uh, give the if the board may have questions, but I, I don't have anything else in my manager's report for right now. Okay. People will have to come back at 6.30 to hear the rest. To hear it, we'll stay on the edge of our seats. Okay. So, Madam Chair, I just wanted to say that given the hour, um, I want to remind uh, colleagues that we do have an audit committee where on an annual basis we invite Mr. Churchman in to go into a deep, detailed dive into this. So I would be happy to take any questions that you all have as a result of presentation this evening and bring those to that meeting or in fact invite you to come um, should you so desire. I really appreciate that. That's an excellent an excellent point. Uh, we are, of course, deeply interested in it, and Mr. Churchman, appreciate your partnership, um, as well as the leadership from our uh, comptrollers and Department of Management and Finance. So we may well avail ourselves of the audit committee's offer. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I am going to now propose that we go ahead and recess uh, for that 4.30 um, uh, timeline, because I know that the team needs just a minute to set up, but we will take advantage of Mr. Dorsey's offer for certain, I know, to follow up on further questions. Um, so uh, thank you all who have joined us for the swearing in. We are looking forward to it. Our team needs just about five minutes to set up, and we will see you all shortly. Thank you so much. The board is uh, briefly recessed. Just to note that the, the, the audit committee meets in public session, so everybody can actually attend the proceedings.
have everyone take it take their seats and clear the aisles ladies and gentlemen can i have everyone take their seats and clear the aisles Good evening, everybody. Thank you so much uh, that for your patience, first of all. You know, one of the uh, jobs of your Arlington County Board is to actually pay attention to the finances of the county and receive the very lengthy and substantial financial end-of-year financial reports. So uh, this is not uh, a, a minor issue. This was uh, the, the part that we kind of expected to, to hear about uh, later this evening, and it came, uh, you know, a little bit earlier than that. So thank you so much for indulging with us. But it also gives you a, a brief insight of, uh, you know, what the job is about among many, many other things. So it's wonderful to welcome you tonight, uh, this evening, to this meeting room of the, our, your, your Arlington County Board, your local government, in this very, very special celebration. It's a distinct honor for me and a privilege uh, to have the role of the MC. My name is Takis Karandonis. I'm one of the members of your county board. On the occasion of the swearing in uh, of my colleague, who I also proudly call my friend, the Honorable Matt Deferanti. I, I want to recognize all members uh, of our community and the many civic leaders, uh, in, uh, leaders of institutions, in Arlington nonprofit leaders who are, uh, and members of our big community who are either present here or are following the ceremony uh, from home. Uh, I want to recognize my colleagues of the Arlington County Board, Chair Kate Crystal, Vice Chair Dorsey, uh, members Livy Garvey, 
and Member Levy Garvey, as well as all elected and former elected officials, especially also our colleagues from the school board, Ms. Diaz Torres, Ms. Mary Kadira, and school board member elect, uh, now sworn in uh, just a few days ago, Bethany Sutton. Congratulations. As well, oh, and David Pretty. I'm so sorry that I didn't see. Um, I also want to recognize all elected and former elected uh, uh, officials and uh, constitutional officers, uh, members of the Arlington County delegation. Uh, Senator Barbara Favola is here, and I'm sure that other members are uh, watching from, uh, from where they are working right now. Uh, uh, I also wanted to, uh, to uh, recognize the Arlington County Cleric and County Board staff who are with us. Uh, and the clerk of the court as it, it was under elected officials. Uh, and our county manager and the county's executive leadership, uh, including the leadership of the different departments and all, and very specially all Arlington County staff who are watching. Indeed, thank you all for being here this evening and indeed every day with us for, for it literally takes a village and then some for being Arlington, for being the forward-thinking, optimistic, progressive community, we are where every individual is important, as our mission states, and we take that extremely seriously every day. Before the presentation of the colors, allow me to say a few words about Matt, brief. Uh, you campaigned as a progressive, engaged, and ready. Here I have still your campaign lit. These are three very positive adjectives, they the three attributes, all of which are 100% you and 150% and more true. Uh, but according to my humble opinion, there is an attribute missing, and the missing attribute is caring. Since I have gotten to know Matt, this is quite a while ago, he cared. He cared for housing, for housing affordability, for housing quality, for working for, people's, for working people's rights and livable wages, for combating hunger, for fund, funding our schools and supporting their work, for supporting criminal justice and law enforcement reform, for making sure that Arlingtonians made it through this pandemic in the best possible physical and mental health, and making sure that as a community we are ready for the greatest challenge of our and future generations, which is the climate emergency, and so many more. Matt was always present. Matt cared and cared to listen and to invest in working with diverse communities to find solutions, solutions that are balanced, anchored in the public good and true democratic values and principles of fairness, equal opportunity and representation. This evening, this evening's swearing-in takes place at a critical time for our nation and for our democracy, as uh, evidenced uh, by the findings of the U.S. House Congressional Select Committee on the events of January 6, 2021. I will never forget that Matt DeFerranti was chair of this board and Mark Smarts was county manager when we sent our officers, some of whom are here, to defend the U.S. Capitol in our nation's constitution. So I say that as a reminder. I say that as a reminder of how important this oath is from the most humble office 
to the White House. So speaking of this, of the oath, it's a true honor to ask you now to stand and to welcome the colors of our combined Arlington Color Guard and then follow me to the oath on the oath of allegiance. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, now, I want to invite and welcome our chair of our electoral board with a certification of the results of this election. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Magiri. Thank you for your service and the service of the entire board. Well, thank you so much. Madam Chair and board members, it's my pleasure and privilege to bring greetings from our county's electoral board, appointed by our circuit court to administer our county's elections process in conjunction with, I think she may have stepped out, the best registrar in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Here she is, Gretchen Reinmeyer. Would you please stand for a round of applause? I'm honored, I'm honored to represent my colleagues, our outstanding chair, Kim Phillips, and our able vice chair, Matt Weinstein, who concludes this month his three years of distinguished service. I'm sure he'll have some further service to render to the Commonwealth. He will be succeeded by Rich Samp, who uh, was in the office today and I saw a short while ago. When during Saturday's board meeting, Chair Crystal announced this event, Mr. DeFerrani aptly noted that it would be a swearing-in and not a swearing-at. And that reminded me, if you'll indulge me for just a moment, reminded me, of, reminded me of a letter I received in February of 1970 from Ned R. Thomas, member of this board, the first county board member whose swearing I attended in the old courthouse in 1967. He wrote, thank you for your letter congratulating me on my election of the county board. I really appreciate your kind words of support and encouragement in a job that normally draws 
brickbats. I mention that to say I would commend to all of you a New Year's resolution, if you don't do it already, to let these county board members know when you like something they do. <laughs> as well as when you don't. And it is now my pleasure to present the certificate that enables you, Matt, to serve during the 91st sitting of the County Board of Arlington since it was created by the voters in 1932. Commonwealth of Virginia, to all whom these presents shall come, greeting. This is to certify that at a meeting of the Electoral Board of the County of Arlington, held on November 15th, night, November 15th 2022, on an examination of the official records deposited in the office of the Clerk of the Court, it was ascertained and determined that at the election held on November 8, 2022, Matthew D. DeFerenti was duly elected Member County Board for a term commencing January 1, 2023 and ending December 31, 2026, witnessed the official signature and seal of the, of the Board of Arlington, Virginia on this 15th day of November, 2022. Proudly signed, W. Scott McGarry, Secretary. Congratulations. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Really it. And now it's my pleasure to recognize the public official who has not just a four-year term, but the longest term of any public office in Virginia, eight years, because he's earned it. Thank you, Scott. Uh, Paul Ferguson, Clerk of the Court here in Arlington. And uh, before I uh, administer the oath, uh, as a constitutional officer, Scott mentioned that. I, first of all, thanks for your work on the Electoral Board. It's a pleasure working with you both now and uh, in previous years. But Sheriff Beth Arthur, this will be her, her last meeting here as sheriff, so I want to make sure she's recognized uh, after an outstanding career as sheriff. Beth Arthur is retiring after uh, 22 years as sheriff. And uh, my other constitutional officer colleagues are here. Uh, Prissa Tafty, the Commonwealth attorney, is somewhere, I think, right there. And, uh, Carla de, Carla de Opava, our treasurer, which is a very important position for the county board and it's handling all the finances. So uh, before I give the oath, uh, Matt sent me a picture today of the two of us uh, where I was administering the oath to him in 2018. Um, so I'm uh, a little worried about seeing the before and after pictures of me four years uh, older, uh, but Brooke was uh, not in that picture. Uh, they, they met. Uh, after his first uh, uh, campaign was over and, and were recently married in the uh, last is more than a year now, a year and a half or so, two plus years, time flies. So uh, I told Matt that the picture will be improved because it, it uh, <laughs> won't, won't, won't be just the, just the two of us. Uh, so Matt, would you please raise your right hand? Do you, Matthew DeFerrante, solemnly swear or affirm that you will uphold the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution and laws of the Commonwealth of Virginia, and that you will faithfully and partially discharge all the duties incumbent upon you as a member of the Arlington County Board for a term commencing January 1st, 
2023 and ending December 31st, 2026, according to the best of your ability. I do. Congratulations once again. Need you to sign. Congratulations, Matt. Also, congratulations, Brooke. Thank you for supporting. Uh, it cannot be overstated. Now, uh, I, it's a particular pleasure to me to introduce Reverend Ashley Goff, um, who's uh, uh, leading the Arlington Presbyterian Church, almost in my neighborhood. Thank you so much. A very strong voice in Arlington, uh, a voice that very often reminds us what the main thing is. As you know, older politicians say, never forget to make sure that the main thing remains the main thing. So, uh, and the main thing is to serve the people of Arlington. Thank you. My remarks are a charge to you. Here's my charge. First, breathe. <laughs> take a breath, Matt. Every day, take three mindful breaths. Three breaths with awareness. Every day, allow yourself to stop and pause for at least three breaths. We know that mindful breathing regulates the central nervous system. Mindful breathing can help us feel rooted and grounded, especially when things around us are very chaotic. With three breaths, you can settle yourself upon yourself. And that settling upon yourself is essential as an elected official when it appears that at times, Matt, some people just want to consume you. You become, for some, a means to an end. And there seems to be a connection, too, with privilege and a sense of entitlement in this consuming. The what about me, what about me, what about me, do something for me worldview that limits the sharing of power and resources and thrives on consumption. But breathing can unhinge you, Matt, from the what about me-ism that comes at you. And breathing can help you settle yourself upon yourself. So lead, Matt, with a settled self. Gratitude. Every day, along with the mindful breathing, name a gratitude, one thing that you are thankful for. And I want to be clear that naming a gratitude isn't about denying challenges or seeing life as yippy-skippy perfect. But gratitude in the prophetic sense can help us see beyond what is in front of us. And gratitude lets us pull back the layers to see power and beauty and people and realities that we might miss. And gratitude counters the scarcity mindset. 
Scarcity sees limited and fixed outcomes. Scarcity claims that possibilities are in short supply, and it makes it difficult to imagine ways outside the status quo. So Matt, build this gratitude muscle to consistently see that there are more than enough creative ways to think about land and homes and neighbors, and that we can trust a new vision of what can be in Arlington, even when the future can't be seen in all of its fullness. So lead Matt from gratitude. And then take a walk. The Reverend Dr. Senator Raphael Warnock from Georgia has said this. Here is what I've learned as a pastor. You can't lead the people unless you love the people. And you can't love the people unless you know the people. And you can't know the people unless you walk among the people. So Matt, take a walk around a neighborhood in Arlington once a week. Our neighborhoods were designed for specific people who lived in that specific place at a specific time. And it's almost impossible now to find those same people doing those same things in the same place. So reread the history of the neighborhood and then look at the neighborhood from different angles. Walk, ride a bike, take the bus, sit on a bench and look at the neighborhood from the dominant economy, from the informal economy, and sense the tension spots in the neighborhood, and observe what and who is thriving and why, and what and who is barely hanging on and why. So lead Matt by taking a walk, and start with Green Valley and the west end of Columbia Pike. Lastly, Ask the four questions. Who benefits? Who is burdened? Who is missing? And how do we know? Matt, in your vision to end hunger in Arlington and grow our economy in an inclusive way and get to 100% renewable electricity by 2035, to end homelessness, to make housing measurably more affordable, and to fund our schools and build enough seats, use these four questions as a filter to make these big things even bigger and profoundly equitable. And bring these questions to conversations and help us, Matt, get out of this binary hellscape that we get into. Yes and no, win or lose, me and them. Be unapologetically bold with these questions. Arlington's past has been less than equitable. And the Arlington of the future must be equitable. There is no way around this. And so Matt, you need to want the future more than the past. So who benefits, who is burdened, who is missing, and how do we know? So lead with these questions, Matt. And Matt, I share this charge from a deep place of care and conviction for you. So may it be so.
A lot of food for thought, right? For everybody, this is not a charge that only applies to elected officials. This is a charge that applies to all of us. In fact, uh, Reverend, thank you so much for these reminders, not only words. So uh, now it is really a big pleasure to introduce Brooke Tansil de Ferranti, who will introduce the Honorable Matt de Ferranti in a way that nobody else can do. <laughs> I am delighted to be here and to have the privilege of introducing my husband, Matt. So as some of you know, I will gladly accept any opportunity to recognize my husband. That is one way in which Matt and I are different. I am eager to applaud his many talents and accomplishments, but my humble and hardworking husband simply wants to do the work. Speaking as a completely unbiased wife, <laughs> of course, I can say that Matt has countless wonderful qualities. These qualities make him a fantastic husband, but they also make him a wonderful leader and public servant. He is earnest and passionate. He listens more than he speaks. He digs into the details. He gives credit wherever it is due. He is always alert to the welfare and the feelings of the people around him. He is thoughtful and responsive and engaged. And he works tirelessly for what he believes in and for the people he represents. As a testament to Matt's work ethic and dedication, I will share with you that on November 11th, just three days after Matt won re-election, during a time in which he could have been taking a bit of a breather and perhaps coasting a little bit in his victory, I received an email from my husband. The subject matter of the email was one word, Georgia. And the body of the email read this. I signed us up for 120 postcards <laughs> for Raphael Warnock and for America. I love you. <laughs> that email is Matt. Yes, he celebrated, but he wasted no time in getting back to work because there was work to be done. So of course, I am very happy that Raphael Warnock won, but I am most happy that Matt won. I am so grateful, and I think we should all be so grateful that Matt wants to share his energy and his enthusiasm and his time and his talent with us for another four years as a member of the Arlington County Board. So it gives me immense pleasure and immense pride to introduce my husband, Matt DeFerranti. Um, uh, first, uh, thank you, Brooke, and uh, I love you. I'm so grateful for your support. I loved having my sister introduce me four years ago. I'm also happy to have uh, Brooke introduce me. Please give her a hand because she serves Arlington just as I do. Thank you. Um, I want to thank my family who is here today, my father-in-law, Fred, uh, mother-in-law, Joan, uh, thank you so much for being here. My sister-in-law and brother-in-law, Charlie and Andrew, and little baby Logan, who is the star of the show. Um, I'd also like to thank 
my parents, Dave and Margo, and my sister, Sarah, who I think uh, are watching remotely. Um, if you like the person and public servant that I am, they get the credit. So please give them a round of applause that they can see and hear remotely, if you would. Uh, thank you to those who made my service possible through your relentless support. To Mark and Arlene, Dalton, Craig, Claire, Rose, Herschel, Mary, Paul, Janeth, Inta, Jay, Jimmy, Carol, Tanya, Natalie, and Mike, Kip, Charlie, Joni, and Marks. Thank you. I take nothing for granted, including this election, so I'm very grateful for your help this year. Please give them a quick hand. And thank you to the campaign volunteers, poll greeters, and precinct captains. Uh, Rick is here. He knocked on over 1,000 doors this year again. Mary, David, Melanie, and Carol Burnett, who drove me all over the county. Um, elections are won by those who talk to people about the issues and go door to door. And so um, thank you so much for those who knocked on doors, hosted events, drove me, and spread the word. I also want to thank my colleagues, Katie Crystal, Christian Dorsey, Libby Garvey, and Takis Karantonis. I admire your commitment to public service and to Arlingtonians. We've had a special moment for a couple of years at least where we have all not always agreed, but we have worked collaboratively, and uh, I've loved that. It's been an honor to work with you, and I'm looking forward to the years to come. The county board is also very fortunate to be supported by a hardworking and committed staff. I want to particularly thank my, my aide, Graham Weinshank. He is in the back. Give him a hand. Um, and I also want to thank the entire county board staff. You make it possible for us to serve. Please. Last, I want to thank uh, County Manager Mark Schwartz and, uh, and the entire staff. Um, I am not always easy, but I am always respectful of the, the professionalism and commitment that you guys bring as a staff. And I truly am looking forward to working with you. Please give our county staff as a whole a hand. I respect the public service. I think we know, and it, I'll refer to it in a moment, that it's not easy uh, working on, on county staff or school staff. And that reminds me of one person not recognized, and she is here, my running mate this time, Bethany Sutton. Thanks so much for being here. I think we've, I think we've now actually named most all of uh, the public officials in the room. If there's someone missing, uh, please give me a little sign. So I'll, four years ago, I was sworn in. I shared thoughts about civility and the American dream in Arlington. Today, I've got an update on this moment and um, my vision for the next four years. If we are honest, civility in Arlington has frayed a bit over the past four years. In 2020 and 2021, our school board colleagues can tell you that COVID took its toll in difficult debates about when and how to open our public schools. This year and last, to some extent as well, the county's consideration of housing policies has been a topic that has strained civility. I still don't think that civility means that we won't agree, won't disagree sometimes, 
and that at times we won't disagree strongly. I understand that issues that impact your children and your home and your, houses, your home's value are amongst the most difficult to be civil on. What I do believe is that we must keep listening and engaging. By listening, I mean we have to keep having conversations with those who have different ideas than we do. By engaging, I mean we must wrestle, truly wrestle, with the ideas that others put forward. Listening and engaging also does not mean we will agree or that as a community we will reach unanimity on some issues. It just won't. I have benefited, I can say I've benefited so much from conversations with people with whom I disagree. It's in fact those disagreements and the grace that Arlingtonians have shown me that give me confidence that we can keep making progress. So I promise to listen and engage with you and to be civil, whether you are one of the 52,000, again, who voted for me, or the 33 or 34,000 who did not. I promise to work each day with the bigger picture in mind. All 238,000 Arlingtonians are impacted by the public work that we seek to do for you. Second, equity and the American dream, this moment. Four years ago, I said, if we can't do it in Arlington, I don't like our chances, because the rest of the country um, might not be as compassionate in some ways. Certainly, we are one of the wealthier counties and wealthier places in the country. I've experienced how Arlington is compassionate and thoughtful, and it has continued to inspire me. This year, I've met with residents who live in missing middle housing in Fairlington and in the Penrose neighborhood on Columbia Pike, also in missing middle housing, who are concerned about density in single-family neighborhoods. I've met with homeowners on 26th Street across from the Washington Golf and Country Club who are focused on affordable housing for, own, for those who earn less than 60% of area median income. I've met with Arlingtonians from Westover who are committed to building trust with our immigrant community and seniors at the Jefferson for whom teacher salaries and investing in our schools is their most important issue. Our community's compassion is clear. But our work to become a fully compassionate community is not done. Our next challenges are the hardest. They're about increasing opportunity for residents who need it the most. Our work on equity in the American dream is fundamentally unfinished. Over the next four years, my vision for Arlington is rooted in a few facts that reveal the challenges that we face challenges that we must address if we want to live out the last sentence of our vision statement that Takas mentioned, a place where every person is important. Our office vacancy rate, as this is uh, our, our new uh, head of Arlington Economic Development, Arlington, uh, Ryan Tuhill is here, he can tell you, as can all of us on the board, that it is above 21%. That's due to a paradigm shift in how we work, our economy, that COVID has helped cause or helped accelerate. So how can we build an economy that reduces the office vacancy rate and works for all of us? 
Only 4% of Arlington's electricity comes from renewable energy. What do we need to do to get to 100% renewable electricity by 2035 to fight climate change? We have 16,700 Arlington residents at risk of food insecurity. What will we do to help reduce and end hunger in Arlington? There are 24,272 residents, based on our last count through the census, that live at or below 30% of the area median income, which is about $43,000 for a household of four people. Most of those residents aren't in this room. Most of those residents need our help. They need our partnership, a hand up, not a handout. So what do we do to increase the supply of affordable housing for those households? And how will we house the 182 Arlington residents who are homeless? And yes, how can we make home ownership more affordable for middle-class Arlingtonians? Our schools, as the annual report from the Black Parents of Arlington makes abundantly clear, still face opportunity and achievement gaps that are inconsistent with the image that many of us in our community have. What can we do to make a measurable difference in closing those gaps? I'll close by giving you a picture of our community. This picture comes from conversations with my new neighbors in Rock Spring and knocking on doors in Green Valley, Douglas Park, Fairlington, Cherrydale, and many other neighborhoods. It comes from my first job in Arlington in 1993 and my decision to vote with my feet by moving from DC to courthouse 10 years ago. It also comes from my walks through the Serrano, apartments on the west end of Columbia Pike, and conversations with other residents in apartment and condo buildings in Pentagon City. We are both the sixth wealthiest county in the country and a place where, as I said, more than 24,000 people live on less than 43,000 a year. We are both homeowners who have been here 20 and 30 years or more and renters who moved here barely in time to vote in November's election. The picture also comes from a drive I do from Rock Spring near Langston Boulevard to John Robinson Jr. Square in Green Valley. When I do that drive, I wonder if enough of the residents in each neighborhood know each other and the real lives that their neighbors live. Do those in Roslyn know Tyrell Hill Park in Arlington Mill? Do those in Westover know Arlington Pew? Ultimately, I come to the conclusion that we do know each other, but that our sense of community needs to be bigger, bolder more focused on possibilities, as Ashley said, more committed to both personal responsibility and community responsibility. We're an inspiring community, but there is room for us to do more, to be bolder, to strengthen the American dream, and to live up to our promise. I look forward to engaging in that work with all of you. Thanks. Thank you, Matt. More, more thoughts, more food for thought. And before we go to the food that is outside at the reception, uh, thank you for uh, the invitation for more walks.
I think uh, if there is a bottom line, uh, it walks the neighborhoods, all neighborhoods are really on the order and uh, they are really not only uh, limited as an instruction and charge to public officials. Uh, now you know that you have the additional benefit of maybe crossing, uh, you know, walks with Matt Ferranti or Katie Crystal or Christian Dorsey or Livy Garvey or, or myself or with uh, Reverend Ashley Goff or Brooke or the members of our county school board or with Barbara Favola, who is the first elected official who I ever met in Arlington County, and the, and the welcome was, listen, we don't do easy in Arlington, do we? That was literally the hello, how are you? So, no, we don't do easy in Arlington. We do, uh, we, we do the hard things, as JFK was saying, not because they are uh, easy, but because they are hard. And this is why this is a plea for, you know, the broadest community cohesion and collaboration. Uh, thank you so much for these words. And now it's time to celebrate a little bit and outside there are refreshments and you can ask directly Matt and, and Ashley and Brooke where their walks will bring them next. <laughs> Last but not least, thank you to the County Board Office and Graham Weinschenk again, specifically for organizing all this, thanks.
towards
Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Um, we will now uh, move to wrap up on an item uh, from before the break, which is a presentation the county manager on um, safety net nonprofit COVID relief notice of funding available program. Over to you, Mr. Manager. Thank you, Madam Chair, members of the board. <clears throat> um, 45 human service nonprofits, um, I'm happy to announce, are going to be awarded grants ranging between $5,000 and $25,000 based on the size of the organization. And about 60% of the nonprofits are already receiving funding from the county this fiscal year, but about 40% do not have current grants or contracts with the county. And two have never received funding in the past from the county. So these awards are being made pursuant to a notice of funding availability, which we released in August. And that originated from direction from the county board and the fiscal 2023 adopted budget, which included $650,000 in, and here I'm quoting from the guidance, one-time funding for relief to human service nonprofits who provide frontline support for low-income Arlington residents. So examples of the services performed include food and financial assistance, shelter services, affordable housing, residential programs, dental and clinical services, foster care support, virtual learning support for students, case management support, and transportation services, among a host of other services. So we've awarded the, we've awarded, we've informed the awardees, and we're in the, uh, just signed the agreements today, we're currently in the process of sending out those payments, and uh, we will have posted on the county manager's webpage by Friday a list of all uh, the recipient, all the recipients, and I wanted to thank uh, the staff in my office, especially Elizabeth Matlock, who worked on this. And I think, consistent with the presentation we heard earlier today, the criteria that were used in this were uh, meant to try to address some of those needs you identified in approaching uh, using an equity lens and providing these awards. So this is good news. And the information will be posted on the website, as I said, in the next few days. Thank you so much, Mr. Manager. Really appreciate the dedicated staff work on this and trying to um, uh, move relief forward in a way that uh, took stock of the many different entities in our community working to relieve during the pandemic. Um, any questions or comments for the manager? Mr. DeFranti. Uh, thank you, colleagues and, Mr. and the manager for doing this. <clears throat> I do think that it it fits with what we were talking about earlier, which is very important in the discussions leading up to this, and, and I'm really pleased with that. And uh, you might not have an answer for this, but is it reasonable to guess or hope that sort of by the end of January, if not before, the, the, the funds would be dispersed, or is that? Yes, I mean, the funds will probably be dispersed before that, so um, right. they're on their way. I was speaking to some of the lucky recipients at the reception. <laughs> Thank you. I'm very interested in the answer to that question as well, I can imagine. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much. And um, Mr. Manager, am I correct that you have one other item to bring before I do. us in your so, report? Yes, um, you can see we have a live in-person audience of Jeremy Carpell <laughs> from the Arlington Video Group, um, who is uh, sitting here, and he and Pete Hill um, do it. It's a labor of love. We have a lot of fun doing it. We do uh, every year. Um, a video for the county board. And before I talk about that, I also wanted to hold up, you all got a hard copy of this, and I can't emphasize this enough, which is it's the Arlington County Government 2022 Annual Report. And 
Um, one of my favorite words, I get, I'm gobsmacked every year <laughs> when I read all the things that we have done. And it's not just, you know, county staff, it's things that are happening in the community. But this uh, document, which runs almost 60 pages, details all the work that we've done as a board, as staff, and out in the community. And we work really hard and get a lot done. So uh, I collect these every year. They have a very nondescript cover and they reside in a very pleasant place on our website. But if people want to know what it is we're doing, this is the place to look. So with that, I'm going to cue uh, the video for our end of year celebration. So let's roll the, let's roll the videotape. That one came from, from someone in uh, the old Glebe neighborhood, so thank you. Please keep them coming. So, weigh in. When completed, this will be able to hold uh, the equivalent of six Olympic-sized swimming pools of water. All right, this book is called Baseball Is. Baseball is our game. Well, and listen, your blood pressure is a little high today, but you're going to be okay. So 
So when will COVID-19 vaccines be available for kids as young as six months? Today is really the culmination of behind the scenes prep work in order to get surplus Arlington County public safety equipment overseas into the hands of Ukrainian first responders. It, it truly means a lot and the scale of this donation is uh, um, hard to fathom, it floors me. There you have it. Thank you, Mr. Manager, and thank you, Arlington TV team. That was a pretty remarkable reminder of how much happened this year, uh, as much as our year-in-review document really conveys it, and perhaps the, the video says even more. We really appreciate you all, um, and thank you. Uh, I won't get too sentimental about it because we do have a little bit more business to close out 2022. Um, I believe we will now move to our consent agenda unless there's anything else from the manager. Um, Madam Clerk, do we have any speakers on our consent agenda? Put items we, have, we have two speakers. We have two speakers. Yes, okay. uh, both virtual. Great, thank you. If you could please call those speakers. Okay. No, no we do speakers first. Yes, speakers, please, thank you. Sorry. <laughs> our first speaker is James Rosen, followed by Thomas Files. Good evening, Mr. Rosen. Uh, hi, good evening and happy holidays to everyone. Can you hear me okay? We can, thank you. Great. Uh, thank you for allowing me to speak tonight. My name is Jim Rosen. I'm here in my role as president of the Boston Virginia Square Civic Association, whose boundaries uh, include the Quincy site. Uh, as you know, the, um, the item that we're speaking to uh, this evening is the um, application for abandonment of the Old North, the Quincy, Old North Quincy Street right-of-way. Our goal as a civic association uh, is to protect and promote the welfare of the neighborhood. And it is with that in mind that I'm here on behalf of the executive committee to request that you put off consideration of this application for abandonment of the Old North, North Quincy Street right-of-way. Uh, we sent a letter to the Planning Commission earlier this month that gives a lot of the detail on the reasons that we are requesting this deferral. Uh, basically, it comes down to two things. First, while the application makes it seem like the proposed abandonment is just a minor administrative cleanup, in fact, the action could result in some really bad negative outcomes for the neighbors uh, and the neighborhood more generally. And second, the application leaves out a lot of very relevant information about the Quincy site. Uh, in particular, failing to mention the actions that you, the county board, took in May 2022 related to placement of the Arlington Public Schools, White Fleet, and the 29 ART buses. So my hope is that you carefully consider this information and send this application back to the county manager, directing him to submit a revised application that addresses these concerns. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Rosen. Our, our next and final speaker is Thomas Files. Um, thank you for having me. Um, I want to just focus briefly on the process and how we're here today. First of all, props for taking this matter 
off the consent agenda. I'm glad that my neighbors were able to persuade you to give it some consideration. Um, it's better than the outcome uh, when the so-called Modera developer demanded to expand the size of his pile and the community objected in writing and you nevertheless consigned it to the memory hole that is the consent agenda. Um, you might not remember this, but the neighborhood does. Um, this is a neighborhood uh, with a high proportion of seniors hoping to age in place. It has long been a modest neighborhood of working people. It's replete with postage stamp lots and Sears catalog houses from the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. You ought to come visit it sometime. It's right next to Line Village, which I'm certain you're familiar with. But since 2016, we have seen endless disruption and immiseration, indifferently inflicted, uh, degradation of public open space, of light, of clean air, and you have countenanced this. Why, your own study has concluded that the general area north of Washington Boulevard here is in the lowest uh, life expectancy category. So you must appreciate that people here are, are, are rather angry. Um, when challenged on this matter last week, the county manager said that he could not say much about the matter because it was in litigation. Perhaps the county board needs reminding that this litigation started with you when you decided to sue my neighbors, including one who had lived here for nearly 60 years, and my civic association for daring to appeal a, a zoning determination. Regardless of why you thought this was a good thing to do to your citizens, though it has the aroma of bullying, and I that, so much so that I don't think your well-oiled public relations infrastructure uh, can erase it, uh, in my mind, litigation is quintessentially a controversial matter. Um, you, you can't have it both ways. A matter of litigation cannot be non-controversial. Why you thought it was rational to shunt this matter to the content, consent agenda in the first place, uh, I don't know. It's a mystery to me. I have a few theories, but I'm glad you saw reason. Um, accordingly, in the future, where this neighborhood is concerned, rather than simply rubber stamp any recommended relegation to the consent agenda, I, I entreat you uh, that you make it your default position to, be the, to do the opposite, that no, no matter concerning this neighborhood should just be sent to the consent agenda. Too much has happened in too little time. Thank you. Madam Clerk, is that our final speaker? Yes. Thank you very much. All right. If you could please call the first item on our consent agenda. Item number 12. The ordinance to abandon a, a portion of the original North Quincy Street as a public street subject to a reservation of an easement for existing public and private utilities. Thank you very much. Mr. Manager, I believe we have staff with us for a presentation. Yes, I'm happy to welcome Betsy Herbs, who is joining us this evening for a brief presentation. Betsy. Good evening, Ms. Herbst. Good evening. Just one second here. Set up. Okay, there we go. Uh, yes, uh, good evening. My name is Betsy Herbst. I'm with the County Real Estate Bureau, and I'm here concerning the abandonment of a portion of original Quincy Street right-of-way. Um, this is a request on behalf of the county to abandon this portion in order to conform with the Master Transportation Plan 
which no longer designates this section as right-of-way. Uh, this original piece was established in 1921, and the pavement was removed back in probably the 70s or 80s when Quincy Street was realigned and I-66 was built. Um, the area where this piece of right-of-way is to, requested to be abandoned is now part of the entryway to the Quincy site, is owned by the county, it's part grassy area, part entry area. Uh, the reason we're doing it now is because the art buses are temporary, temporarily located there, being parked there. And as part of federal requirements for security, uh, those requirements are to have a seven-foot security fence to surround the buses when they are parked. Currently, the uh, fence is on three sides, seven feet, but on the west side near the street frontage, it is only four feet, and that is due to county zoning requirements which limit the height of a fence that's adjacent to a right-of-way or with a, within a certain distance to four feet. And so the abandonment would allow the uh, four-foot fence to be replaced by a seven-foot fence. Um, the abandonment would be subject to a reservation of an easement for existing public and private utilities. Uh, this is just an exhibit, a map showing you the section that is currently just a paper street. And this is showing you the, the area here up near 66. The yellow line shows Quincy Street as it is constructed now, and that is um, the type E arterial street that is shown on the master transportation plan. And as you can see, the original piece no longer appears on, on that. It leads to nowhere. County staff would therefore recommend that the county board enact the, uh, the ordinance to abandon the portion of the original North Quincy Street as a public street subject to the utility easements and authorize the real estate bureau chief to sign all documents necessary for the abandonment. Happy to answer any questions. Thank you very much, Ms. Herbst. Please do stay close. Um, I believe because of the connection to our comprehensive plan, the Planning Commission also heard this item. Did we have a representative of the Planning Commission with us? I'm sorry, I don't believe Ms. Bagley is with us. Yes. Oh, are you? Yes. Sorry. Okay. Good evening, Ms. Bagley. <laughs> we are glad to have you. If you wanted to give comments, we'd welcome them. But if you'd like to simply be available for questions, that is just fine as well. I'll just make a couple of comments. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, good evening, board members. Um, the Planning Commission did hear this on December 5th. Two of the commissioners asked staff clarifying questions regarding neighborhood outreach to which they did respond. Uh, Chairman Weir uh, reminded us the scope of this item appears to be limited to the abandonment. And Commissioner Lantalmi uh, reported that when the Transportation Commission heard it, they unanimously recommended approval. Uh, it was on our motion, uh, the motion carried eight to zero for um, the staff um, uh, motion. So if you have any questions, I'm available. Thank you. Thank you very much, Commissioner Bagley. We appreciate that. 
All right, I believe the conversation is now with the board. I think it probably makes sense for us to begin with a motion, but that'll give us a vehicle in which to ask questions if we wish. Let me turn to Mr. Dorsey for that. Sure, thank you, Madam Chair. I would like to move the county manager's recommendation uh, for item number 12, which is to enact the attached ordinance to abandon a portion of the original North Quincy Street as a public street subject to a reservation of an easement for existing public and private utilities and two, to authorize the Real Estate, Real Estate Bureau Chief uh, DAS or his designee to execute and or record on behalf of the board all documents necessary to effectuate the ordinance of vacation and uh, subject to approval as to form of all documents by our county attorney. Thank you very much. That's been moved and seconded. I'll open the floor for discussion or questions. Mr. DeFranti. Um, I mean, the I want to acknowledge the two speakers spoke in very different ways about frustration with the underlying issues. Um, and um, when there is, certainly understand with clarity that there's, um, there are legal concerns that were raised, particularly by the second speaker. Ultimately, um, the seven-foot fence as opposed to the four-foot fence seems a step forward. And with respect to the remaining issues that are uh, raised, uh, I guess I, I feel like it's appropriate to acknowledge the concerns, um, but that does not lead me to an alternative conclusion with respect to an easement that to me appears not consistent with the current uses. Um, and so... Uh, the underlying concerns are there. Uh, I did see Mr. Rosen a couple weeks ago, and certainly there's a follow-up item there, but I want to be also, I think it's stewarding the overall community appropriately, not to speculate on matters when there's um, an ongoing set of legal issues raised in this manner. So um, here are the concerns. I don't think that's going to be su sufficient for um, particularly Mr. Files, but also Mr. Rosen, but I... That doesn't lead me to a different conclusion in this case, unfortunately. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Mr. and then uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Vice Chairman Dorsey. Uh, I actually had a, a question. Please. That is, Chair. So the uh, the Civic Association uh, sent us a letter that is even longer than the board report on this, and uh, uh, it was detailed and it, it, it you know attempts to make points. Uh, that referred to the board action uh, in past spring. Uh, I don't see a, you know, a, a challenge of, of the specific question here under item number 12 of the abandonment and you know, correcting something that's obviously, this street doesn't exist anymore and we need this street in order to properly fence the, 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 the location, probably protect it and also protect the, the neighbors from excessive noise, et cetera, et cetera. So does the um, ongoing, my question is to what degree is the, uh, are the legal challenges or the legitimate questions uh, or you know, any questions about board action in, in, uh, in the spring uh, to what extent are these, at any rate, relevant for the action we're taking today? Ms. Herbst, I don't know if you'd like to start to talk about sort of the, the uh, history of this parcel um, and it, any bearings that the action for May has on the spring, and then if there's other comments that perhaps the county attorney's office might wish to weigh in on as well. 
Well, the action tonight is is specifically addressed at the piece of right of way. It's not addressed concerning. Uh, it's not a, not an issue of of the use of the Quincy site. Uh, the action would allow a higher fence, but it, it's not specifically in action on the use of the site, which I believe is more the matter of the litigation. Excellent. That that's what I wanted to hear. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Mr. Dorsey. Yes, thank you, Madam Chair. And, you know, Ms. Herbst and Mr. Carantonis, thank you for eliciting that because that's really the crux of the matter. The 19-page complaint, um, which contains matters that are the subject of resident-initiated litigation, um, are not affected by this at all. Uh, as the missive expresses that the uh, application to the Planning Commission, materials that were sent to the Planning Commission, uh, lacks the information for there to appropriately consider this proposed abandonment and that it goes on to say, and I quote, uh, to enable the county board to make further noxious use of the Quincy site. It actually just allows it to make use of the site as we've already determined. So there is no further implication here. So I can find no legitimate reason to not consider this abandonment um, on its own and given its a lack of uh, necessity to being consistently in accord with the master transportation plan or our future needs. Uh, this is not very difficult for me, so uh, I'm pleased to support the motion which I made, and we will continue to have conversation, uh, hopefully uh, in the community, but perhaps also in uh, a court of law regarding the other circumstances that have been raised. Well put. I would associate myself with Mr. Dorsey's remarks and Ms. Garvey for yeah. final thoughts. Thank you. I think I'd like to associate myself with everybody's remarks. Um, I think this clearly is something that we um, need to move forward on. There are other issues, but not with this particular vote. And I'd like to just simply call a question if I might. <laughs> Welcome. Indeed. All right. I believe there is no further discussion. Indeed, the question has been called. Uh, all those in favor of Mr. Dorsey's motion, please say aye. 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 Any opposed? Okay, that carries unanimously. Madam Clerk, do we have any other business to come before the County Board this evening? We do not. All right, well, in that event, we are um, adjourned for the month of December, and indeed for 2022, we will see everyone when we can reconvene for our organizational meeting on January 3rd, 2023. Happiest of holidays and Happy New Year, everyone.